Hey, we're back. Season two, episode number six of Here For Now, origin stories of my creative superhero friends, and I'm Nate DeRoe. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. We are in Wyandotte, Michigan at Eureka Records, and on the other side of the glass, making us sound beautiful is the one and only Tyler Floyd. Hi, Tyler. Hello. I was just here yesterday. So was I. Time is like a weird... Well, you're probably here a lot. True. But I was just here yesterday doing this, and it, whatever, right? We just... We're, we're going to release these whenever they come out. So whenever you're listening to this, it doesn't matter what today is. But for me, it's weird because I feel like I just did this. And it's, I don't know, it's cool. I'm, I'm happy to be here. We're so excited. Um, we have Michaela Stock with us, and we're going to get to Michaela in just a minute. I'm so, we tried this once before. We, we tried to record this podcast remotely when uh, early on in the pandemic via Zoom, and it was an absolute <laughs> disaster shit show. Um, so I'm excited to do this the right way. I can see your face, which is great, and you're not on a Zoom camera, and everything's wonderful. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for finding your way here. Um, the, if if you don't know how you got here, this is the Here For Now podcast. Um, you can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, or on the internet at herefornowpodcast.com. If you like what you hear, shoot us an email, hereforNowPod at gmail.com. Follow us on socials at HereForNowPod. This is season two. We're almost there, almost to the end of season two already. I don't know how that's possible, but we've had a pretty great season thus far. Uh, we had Chris Herman. We had your buddy Jason Singer from Michigander. We had Brian Hugo Iglesias, Olivia Deer, And like I said, last night we got to hang out with Alex Maniak of Shortly. And we got one more with Ryan Kerrigan of Assemble Sound uh, coming up next week. And then that's it. Somehow this thing took so long to kind of get season two going again. And it just, I snapped my fingers and now it's over. But I'm stoked to have you, Michaela. How are you doing today? Hi, thanks for having me. You were just telling me that this is the farthest or the, the longest you've been outside of the home since last March. How did it feel to drive across the state in the sunshine today and yeah, I was thinking about that actually as I was driving over because, you know, it's like so familiar, like the drive. I drove from Holland over to the east side. So you kind of just take all the roads that, at least for me, I grew up driving. Yeah. And so it was this mix of nostalgia um, and then also kind of this weird, like, is this okay? Like, am I allowed to be here? Yeah, it's <laughs> there's a newness to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, I, you know, I, I started off uh, last week's podcast with... Like I was driving from Detroit down here and I took a different route and kind of stuck down by the Detroit River and went through like the industrial Zug Island area. And there was a real newness to that, but also just like getting out and doing pretty much anything right now has that. So I'm glad you made it. Thank you. <laughs> you are you, you're somebody who, as we'll get into, um, has done so much over your short uh, time in this in this business, and most of it is very Michigan centric. But you also have seen the world, and to go from that like expansion of of thought to like living at home and and kind of locking down is is something I guess we're all handling in different ways right now. Um, so I'm glad this thing was the catalyst to get you get you moving again, and you know hopefully we can start uh, moving in the right direction here soon. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we did this once before, but I don't remember any of it. I don't remember. No. I just remember being frustrated at like the technology side of it. So this feels fresh and it feels right. good. And it's really good to see your face. I ask 
each person to give me like, what's your title? You know, what's mm-hmm. your, and yours is really complicated <laughs> because it's like you're you're early on in the process. You're not the this of that company yet, right. or you're not the you know. So you gave me creator and consumer of all things music related. That's the best I could come up with. Yeah, I think that's it's pretty accurate. We just, we're going to go through it all, right? We're going to break it all down. But Michigan House just finished up, and that's something that you are very involved with. And this year, it was obviously digital, which is not ideal because Michigan House is first and foremost a gathering. And it's a gathering usually in Austin at South by Southwest of Michigan people, but somewhere else. Which is weird. It's still weird to me because it's like (laughs) we're all here, right? Like we can all do it here. But we all choose in this very intentional way to do it somewhere else. Yeah. But you put together this like, God, how many pages was your zine? Like 80, 62, 62 page yeah. digital zine, which first and foremost was phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. It was deep. It was, um, I don't know, when you asked me to do it, I just, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but it wasn't that. <laughs> it was in- intensely personal and uplifting and felt good and didn't dwell on the negatives and it just everything it was so rad and it describes the title that you give yourself you're Mm -hmm. like you view things from a creator's lens but also from a consumer's lens at the same point so yeah i'm so stoked to get into all this (laughs) Uh, i want to break the ice though first yeah because i want to make it so that you talk and not me because people aren't tuning into (laughs) this thing to listen to me talk i am (laughs) (laughs) no you're not no you're not (laughs) um i want to give you an icebreaker to kind of get this thing going i want to I want to ask you, um, if you had one word to Mm. describe yourself as a person, what would that one word be? Oh, wow. That's a really interesting question because I was actually, I talk to myself while I drive. Um, Sometimes. Like out loud? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Because I get highway anxiety. And if there's like a lot of traffic, I will just talk to myself. And so I was just talking out loud today about like how how much words mean to me as a human being and like no matter what language they're in like I just I find words to be so weighty and fascinating and so to be asked one word to describe myself I think you know my professional answer at least is always just disciplined right that's the that's kind of my canned answer just because if I say I'll do something I'll do it that's kind of just how how it rolls yeah but a personal answer as far as a personal word to sum myself up with I don't know I guess it's just I feel like I'm always seeking some things, maybe just a seeker, just okay. looking for something, observing. Okay. So around. what were you seeking when talking to yourself on the road on the way here today? Well. Just comfort? Like, I'm, do you talk to you? Do you <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so intrigued by this. Do you talk to the other no, people? It's just to totally yourself. Totally me. Yeah. It's literally you're having it's a conversation. fascinating up here in my brain. Okay. Okay. But it's usually, I mean, actually the habit kind of started when I started learning another language. So a lot of it to me is... Also, just kind of speaking to myself intermittently between languages, because now that I'm back in the States, I don't really have, I have the daily opportunity to speak French because of France, which is where I lived, um, with friends and such. But, you know, it's a couple hours a week. It's not like I'm living in it anymore. I noticed um, when you reply to my emails and then it embeds the email. Oh, yeah. That we just had some of the like your Gmail setting is in French. Does it show up like that? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. It yeah, did which that. is kind of neat. It, it it shows this like 
desire to continue. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Are those the only two languages you know, English and French? Or Yeah, I started learning Swedish. Um, Haven't gotten super duper far with that one because it's kind of my in-between language. I kind of every two years want to start a language. Okay. Um, But Italian, Spanish, Portuguese would love to get those down as well. So, But Swedish is different enough from French that I was like, okay, we can take a little detour. I've got a, a friend who spent a year or so in Sweden as like oh, wow. a, a, a nanny or, or some yeah. sort mm-hmm. of au pair or something. Um, and then they wrote a book about it. I'll have to get it to you because I it's an awesome book. And it does that. tie together some of the language barriers and mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. it's not really a, she's a, she's a, a, a writer mm-hmm. full time, you know, like a business writer. But then she kind of took this opportunity to write this book and it's super funny and self-deprecating and all of these <laughs> things as somebody who is trying to figure out while, you know, the language and, and the customs and everything. Yeah. If you're if you're into Sweden, it's called Swedish Lessons, and it's super super oh, good that. by my friend Natalie Berg. I'll have to share that with you for sure. So you use the word seeker, or or the word disciplined, depending on the setting. Yeah. Would other people use that word to describe you if they were asked the same question about you? Which one would they use? Hmm. I would say that I probably showcase the disciplined side of myself more than anything else. What if we ask like y- your family? Wow. Your yeah. mom. Right. I mean, the word that my mom always uses, like most repeatedly, is scrappy. And okay. I never know if that's okay. a compliment, but I take it as that because okay. she loves me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> awesome. Speaking of family life, tell me about kind of your upbringing. You know, oh, yeah. uh, let's let's lead up to like the professional side and just kind of where you were born, where you were raised, what your family life was like, all of those kind of things. Just give me the quick like mini mm-hmm. bio of where Michaela came from. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to make it really quick, make it a really mini bio because um, that could probably be the whole podcast. Yeah. (laughs) That's how this goes. Yeah. There's no rules though. There's absolutely no rules. I love that. We just go until, you know, people log on, log off, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Basically once Tyler shuts the lights off, we know it's over. (laughs) Yeah. No. So I was born in Lansing, Michigan. So middle of the state, right? Grew up in East Lansing. And basically spent my childhood in ballet lessons and classically trained myself. That was kind of my life. So dancing was really how I found my first artistic voice. Um, I didn't come from a musical family or anything like that. So the only music that I really interacted with was through dance. Um, yeah, and it meant a lot. It was, it was really special to have. Um, my mom is very artistic. She went to fashion school. And yeah, she she has a great eye for design. My dad's not so much into the arts. So it was kind of fun to have a, a dynamic that showcased different sides of humanity, I guess. Like I didn't yeah. come from an artsy family. I didn't come from a sciencey family. Like yeah. it was kind of kind of more loose than that. But yeah, it, I grew up with my mom. Um we lived together with my sister and always had a dog. That was just really fun. And so when I turned 17, I actually had stopped dancing a year earlier due to injuries. I kind of had this whole, I mean, age 17, you're coming of age. It's like your pinnacle teenage like moment, right? Yeah. Every song that you hear about being a teenager usually has the lyric about being 17. Yeah. Um, so that was my moment as well. That was when everything kind of accumulated for me. And I was like, shoot, like I spent my past like 17 years thinking I was going to be a professional ballet dancer. 
and I didn't even want to go to college. You know, I just wanted to go into a company. And then I had injuries and I had to quit. And I was like, oh no, what do I do? So yeah. I kind of started songwriting with the help of a Michigan musician for a while now in Nashville, Mike Maines. And I went to one of his shows one night and I got kicked out because I was at the Blind Pig. <laughs> so I was 17. And you weren't of age for the show. Exactly. And yep. I totally got kicked out. And I will have you know that mm-hmm. I've got the Blind Pig letting me do all ages shows now. What? Yeah. How'd you work with Matt? Uh, new ownership, basically. Okay. But yeah. Uh, they still yeah. prefer the 18 <laughs> and 21 and up crowd. But, you know, they understand that now you kind of have to do all ages to to be able to right. fit in, right? So you wouldn't have been kicked out of my show. But anyway, oh, you got kicked out of Mike Main's show. and Yeah. Yeah, I got kicked out. It didn't mean to. It was a complete accident. I had no idea that I didn't hit the age requirement. Uh, I was super embarrassed because I was totally like, I was talking to um, some neighbors yesterday. We just moved. So um, getting to know a lot of new people in my neighborhood. And they were like, what were you like, you know, as a teen? And I was like, well, on my 16th birthday, the first thing I did when I got my driver's license was go to the library. I watched Pride and Prejudice on the weekends. And I danced <laughs> classical ballet. That's about as exciting right. as it got. So for me to be kicked out of a bar. It was pretty cool. Oh, I was like <laughs> in my pleather, you know, Forever 21 jacket. <laughs> I was like, what? I love it. <laughs> me kicked out of a bar? Anyways, I was kind of scared because I didn't really know where I was because I hadn't really been around that much. I was just in a studio for most of my life. And I met this woman in a parking garage. She's really important to the story. Yeah. Uh, her name's Nina. And she warmed my hands, charged my phone. I was out in this parking garage for hours. Like, we did not know how I was going to get into the show. And it was my best friend's 18th birthday. And so I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to give up because it was my friend's birthday. Right. And yeah, she told me about how she like baptized her iguana. And we just had like the best conversation ever. It was the most hilarious experience. And um, she really impacted me. And I got into the blind pig because Mike threw me on his merch table. And I was like, okay, I can sell your t-shirts. Like, I work at a coffee shop. Like, that's cool. Sure. And then I remember standing back there. There was a band called Shapes and Colors at the time. I don't even know if they're still around. They were the merch table next to me. And this guy had just no concept of me being 17, no concept of me not knowing what the heck I was doing, you know, at a show. Because it was really my first show. And he, you know, just started talking to me like a human being. And it was really profound for me as well because I was like, whoa, this person thinks that I know what I'm doing. Sure. And as a 17-year-old, you don't really get that experience very often. So then the show started and I saw the lights kind of hit the backs of the crowds um, from behind and it just all hit. And I was like, wow, all right, I'm no longer in the studio rehearsing to be on the stage. I'm behind the entire mechanism for a completely different art form, but it feels so good. Like this is it. Yeah. And so I just really distinctively remember, you know, the plastic totes full of T-shirts and the smells and the sights and and people thinking, like, this girl knows something about something that she knows nothing about. Sure. And I went with it. We always tell artists, you know, at, at all levels to fake it till you make it. And yeah, like you totally. Kinda, you kind of just went with it. Like, oh, people are treating me as if I've done this before, so I'll act like I've done this before. Nobody exactly. needs to know any different. So cool. Um, Nina? Yeah. What was her name? Mm-hmm. Nina Milton. You ever see Nina again? Yeah, actually, tragically, she recently passed, um, which was really hard for me because she definitely is a huge part of my story. And I don't even know she knows how deep she she is for me. But yeah, I did. Every time I went back uh, to the blind pig area, I went to the parking garage. Um, She was training to be a speech pathologist at the time. And so she was reading. um, 
she was always reading a book in the parking garage on her night shifts. Yeah. So yeah, I know that that her family's having a hard time and with everything, but it was really beautiful to cross paths with her in that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's really cool how you can take influence from such uh, small, you know, we would even just assign it as like a transaction in life, right, you know, yeah. like it, somebody like that could be so impactful. And it's got to be neat to like, from her end, maybe if she didn't know or she at least had an inkling of like what kind of an impact she made, you know, taking your parking money, right? Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit. You said that music wasn't like a big central point of your life other than the dance music when you were a kid. But aside from the dance music, what's the first like piece of music that you remember either playing in your home or you owning or whatever that like impacted you in a way where you were like, this is different or this is a, you know, what was that first piece of music that you just owned and was yours? Yeah. So uh, this is kind of a twofold answer. The very, very, very first CD I owned and piece of music that I remember besides classical music, like first CD I owned was called Young Dancer. But (laughs) the first actual one was Enrique Iglesias. And I would just absolutely blast this music. And yeah, that's what I danced to. I just didn't we have an who, Yeah, Olivia. No, oh, Olivia way. had Enrique, but it was um like she wanted something else. She wanted Aaron Carter, I think. She wanted an Aaron <laughs> Carter CD and her uncle or somebody bought her an Enrique CD. That's super funny. It's That's weird awesome. these little connective things. So you blasted that thing. Yeah. Olivia it, yeah. like threw it in the corner <laughs> and was like, I don't like that. That's not what I wanted. I wanted Aaron Carter. But Oh, that's hilarious. So which which CD, which album are we talking about? Oh, is there only like, one? Yeah. Like, is Enrique just got like the one hit? Or- it's the one with the ping pong song, whatever album that was. I don't okay. even remember the name of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you said it was a two, two twofold. Fold. Okay. So that was my pre, you know, that was my first one. Second. Um, my sister had this really cool, well, she's still really cool, but she had this really cool phase before I even knew what cool was. And she like went to, we would go to the library and we'd check out CDs together. Um, cause obviously like we didn't have Spotify. So we'd go and we'd check out CDs and I checked out Justin Bieber, right? I was like 14 mm-hmm. yep. and she checked out like Modest Mouse. And so, um, you know, we kind of were both smug against each other's music taste. Cause like I knew what's up. Like was I she was older? Doing, she yeah, was she's old. two years older. Is she older? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah she's still older. That's how it works, right? Like <laughs> still you're always, too. The, yeah, right. <laughs> and what's her name? Mackenzie. Mackenzie, that's right. Yeah. Um. So she brings home Modest Mouse, and you bring home Beaver. Yep. And we we're both kind of like, I know better than you. But like, were you converted <laughs> by this? Like, yeah. So she went to youth group one night, you yeah. know, and I was home alone, and I had my you know massive HP laptop, you know, and she wasn't here. And so I kind of looked around and I was like, what would happen if I played Brothers by the Black Keys? Like, would anybody know? And so I popped open the CD drive and I put it in and I still, I have a, a very vivid memory, I guess, overall, but like still remember exactly where I was sitting, how the house was arranged, what time of day it was when Everlasting Light started to play. And I was like, this is music. Yeah. Like, I've never heard it before, and it's still to this day my absolute favorite album ever. Huh. It's cool to have that, um, I don't know, some of us have have it built in from the beginning to the point where you, you barely remember it. 
you right. know, for but you for you to have such an impactful moment with that album is is uh kind of tells the story, right? Like yeah. it it shows why you're so passionate about sharing it with other people because it's like, I want you to have that moment that I still remember so clearly. Yeah, I think that's a really, really critical and important part to my story in the music industry, actually, is I remember playing my first chord. I remember my first album, my first show, Yeah, everything. And a lot of times when I would ask friends for advice or for help in the music industry, they'd be like, well, I don't remember. I turned three years old and there was a guitar in my hand or my dad was always playing the guitar or there's some element of musicality or the industry that was just bred and I didn't have that right so I like to share those roots to be like you know you can start playing music at age 17 and end up playing South by at age 21 like it can happen you know yeah so okay so age 17 is when you started playing music is that when you first picked up your first instrument or is that like when it became that's when it became like serious ish more like that's when i wrote my first song okay one could say it was horrible (laughs) it was really bad (laughs) um what what did you pick up first then what was it guitar it was piano actually okay um there was a neighbor at the top of our hill like i lived on a hill for a while and i would go to her house and we would play some music sometimes so yeah I, i definitely did have like there was always an instrument kind of floating in my vicinity that I had access to. It wasn't like music was, you know, out of bounds. Sure. But it just wasn't a part of my really upbringing, except for, you know, a few few piano things here and there, a few guitar things here and there. But yeah, I didn't really care. I wanted to dance. Right. Tyler, what was your first instrument? Because you play like all of them now. <laughs> True. Uh, Where did you start? My first instrument was the piano because my mom is a piano teacher. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. But so she didn't speaking teach me. about it being in the house, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. She didn't what now? She didn't teach me because oh, wow, okay. I was, well, she tried to, but I hated to be taught by her. So okay. I I said I wanted a different teacher. Oh. I was, yeah, I know. I was a very bad son. How old? Uh, I was second grade. So okay. eight ish. Okay. Cool. Yeah. You play everything now. Have you ever heard Parkway in Columbia? Briefly, but not enough, clearly. It, it's like, <laughs> it's big. There's a lot happening, and Tyler does a lot of it. Yeah. And, uh, That's awesome. I yeah. like to record way too many instruments on records. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to find all the friends to play them live. Exactly. <laughs> um. So... 17, it becomes like a thing where you're mm-hmm. like, I'm writing songs. Right. Dance is done. Right. Injuries. It Was it a like a major injury or was it just like piling up like my body just hurts all the time and I can't do this? Because that's kind of a normal thing for dance, like competitive dance, like gymnastics, same thing. Where like your career is kind of over most of the time. And it's just because your body's like, F this. Like this has <laughs> to stop. It was totally a mix of both because I still think I struggle with this today. I have this massive disconnect from my mind and my body, and I try to holistically bring the two together um, as often as I can. But when I'm when I set my mind to something, I don't even care. Like sure, I just right. don't care. And so when I got into my dream pre-professional company, which was just the Children's Ballet Theater of Lansing, you know, we did the Nutcracker at like the Wharton Center every year, you know. Right. But because that's what I went to when I was growing up. Like, that was my dream, right? That's what I had in front of me. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I got there, right? And I realized, like, 
how middle of the road I am in this company versus like, you know, my old studios where they were a lot smaller. Sure. And so I went to like every class and I used these like really medieval looking contraptions to like stretch. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't, it was actually like, it was probably, I didn't hide anything growing up. I'm a horrible liar. I don't do it. But my mom said, hey, like, don't use any of these things that you see on the internet to like stretch or do any of that because it's sure. not going to help you. Yeah. And you I did. did. <laughs> And, and it totally time. ruined me. Yeah. So I had um, just a lot of stuff, um, kind of like you described earlier, yeah. that did end up amounting to, like, can't even walk. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Yeah. So th at that point, there was a, I mean, it seems like a relatively quick pivot. Mm -hmm, absolutely. To songwriting pivot. We, we've been using that word a little too <laughs> 2020. much. 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um, but was it like filling a void for you? Oh, totally. Okay. So it wasn't, was it, I mean, was it healthy? Did it feel healthy in the moment or was it just like this, I've got this energy that I can't freaking use over here <laughs> that I now I'm going to use over here? Or did it feel good? Do you know what um, I mean? Like, maybe I don't think even... it was healthy. Okay. I think that the choice to channel my energy into another creative environment with people that took care of me in that creative environment. Like Mike was a really great mentor to me yeah. during those years. That was healthy. Yeah. You know, there are a thousand other ways I could have turned to try and fill this void or completely have given up on artistry in general. I'm sure there's a movie about that somewhere, <laughs> right? I do love coming of age films. All those, <laughs> yeah, all those dance uh, mm -hmm. center stage. and Oh, right. Love uh, those. My wife being a dance teacher, right. I'm obviously very aware of all this stuff. And I've got a five-year-old who's in dance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not taking it super seriously yet because sure. she's five, but... I worry about it, right? You know, and I, I, thankfully, she's in a very non-competitive program. It's yeah. recreational dance. It's for fun. None of these kids ever, you know, go right. on to, like, go on Broadway or anything. But it's all concerns when you see, you know, when you're like, oh, right. no, my kid doesn't go through all that. But <laughs> so you, you've picked up the uh, the songwriting thing, and you said the first song was terrible. Was why, really was, why was it terrible? I, again, I feel like a lot of the things I struggled with when I was 17 are things that just manifest in different ways now that I'm older. Um, kind of writing for what I think should be written rather than what needs to be said. I feel like I did that a lot when I was 17. One of my pitfalls as a human being is wanting to be taken seriously. And so I thought that if I wrote the right words, then it would kind of fast track me to okay. being serious, right? So going back to that mm -hmm. transactional thing, you're almost right. using your songs as transactional type like advances. Yeah, oh yeah. Through, yeah. It was a creative a, exploration, but at yeah. the same time, it was a creative exploration with an end goal. And that kind of takes away the path of exploration when you have the end goal, right? Sure. You're not wandering like you should be as a young artist. I took away the privilege to wander. And yeah, I feel like getting older has brought me back to that you know it's okay to suck <laughs> right like yeah i mean music is a thing that scratches so many itches right and it, some of it can just be to do it to have fun you know right. i've always told artists you know who have asked for my counsel through all of this like the one thing i go back to is like admit who you are mm, yeah and be in it you know if your right. band wants to get together and just wreck a bar on the weekends <laughs> and just be that like 
you know, band that gets free beer and gets to tear it up with their friends. Like, be that. Say that. Own that shit, you know? And Mike Maines, perfect example, he has always told me, and he may still tell me if I call him tomorrow, (laughs) if I say, hey, what's your goal? Mm. You know, his goal was always, we want to be the biggest band in the world. Right. And there's only one of those. So unfortunately, that goal is very hard to meet, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't believe he's made it there yet. Mm -hmm. But it's driven him in a way that, you know, sometimes is probably healthy and other times he probably would admit would be unhealthy. But at least he knew it and it was consistent about it, right? So, you know, I've always wanted that from bands as they approach me to to work with me for whatever reason. It's like, just tell me what you want because I have use for you regardless of which one you are. Hmm. If you just want to rip on a Friday night and just get people in to get drunk together— I got use for you. Max Bar is a great place for that, <laughs> right? right? Um, any of the clubs really are a great place for that if if that's what it's advertised mm-hmm. as. But if you want to be get on the ladder and start to climb and start to, you know, build a team and put out records and tour and all these things, there's a different way to do that. Absolutely. And you can mix all the things, right? You could be all of those things at once too, right? So at, at what point in the, like, the songwriting process did... Did any of it click and did you like Hmm. move forward from that, you know, thought process of transactional feeling? Right. There are a couple of moments that clicked for me. The first one, I wrote a song and again, I couldn't really play the guitar. I was taught a few chords by a really cool man named Steve. And every time he taught me chords, he would give me a sour Jolly Rancher. It was really great. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so I did, I knew like the four basic chords that you could play every pop song with. And then other than that, I I just learned by ear, learned on YouTube. So the first struggle for me was always like making up a coherent guitar line that didn't want you to like rip your hair out by the end of the song because I was playing it over and over and over again. I would never change anything because I didn't know how. Um, So I came up with a riff and then I started writing about my family and how I saw it split. And I showed it to Mike. He totally flipped out. He's like, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's where you need to write from. And I was like, I don't want to talk about my dad. You know, like, I'm like, I don't want to talk about this stuff. And he was like, but you have to, to get to this place. Clearly, this is what your creative body is begging you to process, begging you to to dive into. So I did. I still treasure that song a lot, but it's not something I share. Um, Maybe eventually. And then it kind of dove into similar types of things. I started writing about my mom and her sickness and what that was like, you know? And then when I uh, got to college, I would get up really early. I'm a big morning person, 6 a.m., take my guitar down four flights of stairs to the dorm basement, and I'd practice for an hour. And then I'd do the same thing before I went to bed. And I would try and write music. And I was so frustrated one time um, that I set a timer for 10 minutes, and I said, I'm going to write a pop song. And I did. And it was the first time that I'd ever written something that got caught in like my head. Yeah. It was something that, you know, got stuck in my head. And um, I showed it to my friend who had been my bassist on and off for a while. And he loved it. And we demoed it out. And it was really cool. And I, I literally went to his um, bedroom studio. And I was like, Ross, I don't know what this song means at all. Like the first lyrics are like, pour the glass of lemonade all the way to the top. Horror films and sunlight fills the afternoon. I've never seen a horror movie. I don't really <laughs> like lemonade. <laughs> okay. So it was just, it was total stream of consciousness writing that felt so good uh, that I kept it. And I still perform that song because it's so much fun to play. It's right. just awesome. Yeah. 
Um, not that it's the world's best song. It's my first pop song ever, but it's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, okay. So it's still, it's a relatively short window here, you know, from like this 17 year old yeah. discovery to, mm-hmm. to now, right? right? Your recent college graduate. W- when did it become canceled plans? <laughs> yeah. Like, cause you, you played as Michaela for right. a, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you were on a bill, you were Michaela Stock and not right. canceled plans. When did canceled plans like become canceled plans? Um, January 1st, 2018. Okay. It's so punctual. Yeah. It's very <laughs> intentional, right? Like you were launching a, a brand. Right. Yeah. Well, I didn't really know what I was doing at all. Like I can't even begin to emphasize how much I didn't know what I was doing. And I think that's the fun part of this. It's where I started to regain what I was talking about earlier, that sense of wandering, right? Like giving myself permission. Um, So freshman year, I was 18. I was in a poetry class and I had just had to write a poem about, it was like a manifestation poem. So write a poem about a dream that you have that you don't think will ever happen. Just do it. And so I sat down and I'm not a procrastinator at all. No, but I, I wrote. Know this, I know this about you. <laughs> I wrote this poem the morning before my class, which is like really kind of close for me. Yeah. And um, I wrote it about slinging an electric guitar over my shoulder. Side note: didn't play the electric at the time. Yeah. Still, don't know if I can say that I do. <laughs> um, slinging an electric guitar over my shoulder, getting on stage at Max Bar, and opening a show for a band that nobody knew about, and. Then I finished the poem, sat down my pen, looked at my phone, had a Facebook message. A friend of mine, he was just starting out at the time. Yeah. Um, he's awesome. Monty Pride. Yep. Really, really taken off in a lot of ways. Um, now Mon- Monty emailed me this morning, actually. Oh, That's he's funny. so sweet. It's funny how these things all go <laughs> together, right? Yeah, totally. He even he sorry Facebook messaged me, and he was like, "Hey, you know, I know that you know we crossed paths and we were friends. We're hanging out all this summer." And he's like, "When we crossed paths last, you said you were writing music, and it's been fun to chat about that." And I was wondering if you want to open for me. I have my first headlining gig ever at Max Bar, April seventh, I think it was, twenty, yeah, twenty seventeen, I guess. So that's in two days. Oh yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was my show. Was that our show? Was that a fusion show? It was a fusion show. Oh well, there you go. I don't have to look at my spreadsheet anymore. <laughs> it was a fusion show. Yeah, and so. I literally wrote a manifestation poem that I had procrastinated to the morning before my class about slinging an electric guitar over my shoulder to open a show at Max Bar for a band nobody knew. And here's my friend just starting his career for his headlining show, asking me to open for him at Max Bar while I was writing the poem. Yeah. Woof. And then he emailed me today. So it's like, (laughs) there must be some electrical pulse in Monty Pride, you know. Shout out. (laughs) Is his name Monty well, that's his like. That's his pen name. Yeah, it is his name. It's his okay. real name, but he goes by Aaron um, in okay. like daily life and with friends and family. Gotcha. Okay. But, I, yeah. I, he's one of those dudes that I just, I never, I don't know. Like, I just know <laughs> you as Monty, but right. it's like people refer to Jax as Flint sometimes. Right, so totally. Like, hey, Flint. And it's like, well, no, that's not my name. <laughs> well, okay, never mind. Hi. So while all this is going on and you're coming up with canceled plans, you're going off to Hope College. Yes. Are, are you going for performance or are you no. doing something else? Like this is, you didn't like take the 14 years of dance and then just like <laughs> turn it into like, I'm going to be a musician. <laughs> like it wasn't quite that, right? It was, no. you, what were you, what were you doing in school? Like what was, when you started school, what did you think school was going to be and where was oh, it going to lead yeah. you? That's a great question. Also, side note, 
Yeah. I realized I didn't fully finish your last question. I got that gig at Max Bar. I got another gig with Jason Michigander, Max Bar. Played with friends at that gig that I met in my recording arts class. Felt really uncomfortable about having Michaela Stock on a poster when I was playing with four other, three or four other like absolutely fantastic musicians. Sure. And so I changed it and launched it the 1st of January before my first Pyramid Scheme gig with, um, shoot, I think it was Valley Girl. Um, oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Changed it before then because I was like, oh my gosh, if I actually have to play another gig, which it looks like I have to. I can't. I have to. <laughs> Nate's making me. I have to do He this. won't stop emailing me, and I can't <laughs> stop saying yes. I'm like, I'm not going to put Michaela Stock on a t-shirt. It's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> I have a Josh Ritter sweatshirt. Okay, yeah. And a Kevin Devine sweatshirt, and it's still weird, you know? Even Jax, we talk about, yeah. like, putting Jax Anderson, Anderson on a t-shirt. Yeah. It's like, what? Why? You know, it's so strange. And that, you know, I, I, I feel like this is a very common topic on this podcast because it's on my mind a lot, but it's this idea of like music is a solo thing now, mm-hmm. a lot of it. And then you bring in your friends. This right. is my project. Right. I'm going to do what I want. And then I'm going to hire someone to play the bass parts that I want them to play. And if I don't know how to tell them how to do it, I let them come up with their own, but yep. it's still my project. Right. It's about my, my life, not, you know? <laughs> And so, you know, the difference between being able to know that when I go see Michaela Stock and then to go see Canceled Plans, there's like a little bit of a definition of Mm -hmm. of like what the project is when you go from your name, your given name, to a project name. Right. That's been kind of like the whole premise of this podcast. Jeez. Mm -hmm. It's like Brian went the other direction. Brian Hugo Iglesias goes by his name now. Michigander was Jason and then it was Michigander. Right. Alex is shortly, you know, and it, it uh, it's, yeah, it it's interesting to see it go one direction or the other direction and kind of for the same reason, though. Absolutely. Just to take control of, of what the project means. Right. In a certain way. 100%. But you were hiding a little bit, too. Oh, totally. And, like, always have had imposter syndrome, always feeling like a fraud, you know? And so part of that was, like, if I say that this band is Michaela Stock, I have this illusion of artistry. That everyone did everything by themselves if their name was on it. So I would see, like, you know, Taylor Swift. It's like, oh, Taylor Swift wrote those songs all by herself. Well, obviously she didn't, (laughs) you know? That doesn't make her less brilliant of an artist or a songwriter. Sure. But I didn't know because nobody told me. Nobody shows you what's behind the curtain until you open it up yourself. And so this was me kind of opening up my own curtain and being like, my guitarist at the time, who was Jared Demeester, um... He's actually releasing his own music now. So definitely huge shout out, like one of the most brilliant people I've ever met and had the privilege to work with the amount he lifted my sound. It was even it was kind of even an ode to res- of respect to these friends standing right next to me on stage. Like I did not write that guitar part. Yeah. I don't want my name on it. It's not mine. Sure. Sure. I wrote the song, but yeah. it was something I worked on with them. Exactly. Not, not something they did for me. But if anything goes or wrong, that I made the, that I told them to do, right? And but I, yeah, right. And sure. so, I, but I kept it as a solo project because if anything went wrong, I still wanted it to be my responsibility. At the end of the day, because yeah. part yeah. of the reason I would say ninety percent of why I started a band was so that I could practice managing a band on myself with my own finances and my own emotions, right? Because part of band management is emotional regulation. That's just a <laughs> significant part. 
Yeah, it's like you being know. Mar- it's being married to a, a group of five people that are all married to each <laughs> exactly. other. Exactly. Somehow, yeah. It's, it's a, a huge exercise in developing empathy. And I wanted to experience that firsthand before I pretended to know what I was doing with someone else's project. And I knew I wanted to manage bands. And that's the opposite, again, of going back to what Brian Iglesias said. Right, Tyler? Like, Brian was teaching himself all of the things so that he could manage his own project in the best way Oh, wow, yeah. Possible. Like, Brian was helping others. Right. In order to get to where he is, get to where he is to be able to manage his own project That's in really a way. Cool. And you're doing kind of the opposite, where yeah. you're using your own project to build the skill set to manage others. Exactly. It's really neat. It's interesting how that all works. Either way, it's a very intentional like thought process, right? Like you, you knew that that's what you were doing. Yeah, and it took the pressure off too to having to write that perfect pop song, right? Like it wasn't about you know, my music hitting a chart ever. Like, that was never why I got into this. It was about, you know, the artistry. And you asked earlier what my intention was when I got to college. Yeah. And I actually thought I was going to be an art curator. (laughs) So I did, like, museum studies. When I had this transition between dance and music, there was another aspect of visual arts that was really important to me because the only other thing that I did besides play in the mud and do ballet growing up was draw and just make art my sister in high school she got like all of these awards for being like smartest human being and like just crazy amazing brilliant awards and when it came my turn to like get any sort of you know recognition in the academic sphere they actually made up a new award that year and they called it most creative and most art classes taken <laughs> so most art classes taken those good. were the two awards i got in high school um <laughs> It's just hilarious. That reminds me. I've been um, I've been engaging with NEVA, National Independent Venue yes. Association, mm-hmm. and doing a lot of work there. And I'm on those Zoom calls, and I'm like, if I gave myself an award, it's like most likely to be on Zoom, <laughs> on the Zoom call. Like right. I'm on every. You show week. up, yeah. But you know, I've always through it all like really made a point of like making sure that people that are new on it like get mm. noticed, right? Like, hey, you're new, and we're kind of act like a click now because we all know each other. So like. Welcome to the club. Yeah. But I also, at the same time, um, have a particular, I, I have a hammock in my garage, which has become like a little bit of my sanctuary through all of this, at least when it's warm out. So they did a, a happy hour Zoom party or whatever with Neva and Nito, which is the managers and agents, little like Neva-like thing. And I got one of the five or seven uh, mock awards and it was most welcoming slash most likely to be in a hammock. And I was like, what the f-? Hand I, in I, hand. I guess, yeah, right. But it's like, yeah, when you're talking about like most art classes taken, I'm yeah. like, oh, cool. I guess that's what I'm known for is like yeah. most likely to be in a hammock during a Zoom meeting, you know? Oh, that's hilarious. But I guess it's part of my personality now, right? Yeah, it's a trademark. It's a brand. There you go. So you're you're at Hope. Yeah. And Hope is a wonderful art, music, every, it's a very liberal arts college, maybe not liberal in the way that we use the word liberal these <laughs> right. days, um, but very much a, a place where art and everything very clearly is a f- front and center. Right. You go to school thinking art curation, like museum, like what do you, Yeah. are you going to have Michaela Stock's art gallery or like <laughs> what? Yeah, so 
when I was in high school too, like that transitionary phase that we talked about so much, um, in between getting kicked out of the Blind Pig and quitting ballet, um, I did some stuff at the Eli Broad Museum in East Lansing um, and had a really great time and made still the painting I'm most proud of um, during that time of my life. And um, yeah, I kind of fell in love with arts administration. And then, you know, after I did kind of have my experience at the Blind Pig and started writing songs, it was just such a foreign land to me that I was like, well, you know, business and art, like, why don't we just start there? Yeah. Um, I had a really hard time being understood at Hope College. I feel like it took me a very long time to find a place. I remember bouncing around office to office to office to office, trying to explain to people what I want to do. Mm. And it wasn't quite at this point, you know, I thought, okay, art curation. But then it transitioned out of that and it became arts administration. And then it transitioned out of that and it became music business, which still nobody got. I mean, we're talking about Holland, Michigan. So sure. there's not a whole lot going on over there as far right. as like a booming music industry. And so, yeah, I, I just remember like almost getting to a point where it was like, does what I want even exist? Like, do I have to make this out of thin air? Yeah. I don't know. I made friends with a bunch of artists in Grand Rapids and they were six to eight years older than I was. Well, they still are. <laughs> um, right. As we talked about earlier, exactly. that, that will never change. That's, um, how, that's <laughs> how it works. That's how age works. And that was huge for me because even though it kind of encouraged my isolation that I felt at the time at Hope when I was really young there, because I was gone from campus, I entered into this whole new world of, you know, I was hanging out at this house with five guys aged 26 to 28 who were freelance full-time artists. They made their own rules. And that's what I wanted. So I kept hanging around them. That's how I started to get to know the Michigan music scene as well, because, you know, photographers, graphic designers, musicians, we all kind of hang out together. Right. Um, and that's really what guided my path. Um, so I went from, I do remember one time, I went to the business department to have a meeting with the head because I was a music minor at the time getting straight C's on all of my music theory, all of it, which wasn't like me. And I remember too, one of my professors, actually, she gave me an extra like encouragement point on my final exam because even though I didn't get everything perfect, like the sight reading and the rhythm, she said that I had the emotion behind it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I'll take the wins where I can get them at this point. So I knew I couldn't do music theory. Like I knew I couldn't do the performing route because I just didn't have the training. I was so far behind. I got to the music, I mean, excuse me, the business department and the guy who was the head of the business department, he was on the phone our entire meeting. He hangs up the phone. He looks at me. He's like, what do you want? He was nice, but just, you know. Right. To uh, the point. Yeah. I was like, I want arts administration or like something music-y. And he picks up the phone again. He dials a number and he goes, yeah, you're going to have to go to Nashville. But I hate to tell you, I just found out we lost our connection to a program there. So maybe you should transfer and then uh, figure it out then. Oh, jeez. Well, I can't just like go to Nashville. Right. Where's the money for that? Yeah. Okay. So I left that. We went to the art department and got in with the art history department, uh, did some art history, realized that I didn't like talking about like the pinky finger of a Roman statue for eight hours and transitioned out of art history, went to visual arts. It was a studio art major, took some drawing classes, had enough of that. Then random off chance, got thrown into recording arts one. And I met my current like, I guess he's not my current advisor anymore because I graduated, but um, <laughs> right. I still kind of think of him like that. Uh, as a life advisor. Sort he of. totally advises yeah. my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Drew Elliott. And 
I, again, I got C's from like all my projects um, in recording arts one because now you're throwing like science and math in there. And sure. Like, no way. Yeah. Um, only girl in the class. And so when the semester ended, I was like, shoot, I see a problem and a solution and I can't throw it away. And I was like, I need one to be the representation that I complain about not seeing. So I have to go put myself through, you know, more intense academics than I would have chosen to kind of get to a place where I'm like, okay, yes, women in technology, women in music. Yeah. And getting those numbers a little bit more balanced. And two, I told my professor, I told Drew, it's like, this is what I want to do. He goes, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, let's do it. Why not? Let's make a plan. Yeah. And so I stuck with it. And yeah, oh my gosh, pivotal. He he is the reason that Hope was academically perfect. It, it worked in the end. Absolutely. But with that the journey ends, there. With all the dead ends and all the right <laughs> yeah, turns. It was and rough. Constant, yeah. Oh, I wanted to and, drop out every day. And all of this is like... Again, going back to, you know, the the time frame that this is all taking place, it's all kind of parallel. Right. This absolutely. Isn't, this isn't like a first this, then this, then this. This is right. more like this and this and this and this and this all at the <laughs> same time in varying doses. And I still feel like that's kind of where you are. Sure. Yeah. So you're you're at Hope. You're working on the recording yeah. arts degree mm-hmm. and then also now part of the concert series which is like hope is a uh, and again this may be a rewind a little bit it's it's all like kind of all these things running parallel (laughs) and and jumping in but like hope punches above above their pay grade as far as a concert like the size of the school that they are Mm -hmm. and the types of the shows that they bring in for for a christian college Mm -hmm. um that's a common thing on the west side of the state obviously kelvin kind of leading the way in that regard as far as like Christian school that brings in big names, you know, right. and big names that maybe push the Christian buttons a little bit, you know. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> um, right, exactly. So at what point did it pivot to like concerts and that whole thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. So again, parallel. Yeah. So at the same time, I was like thinking I was going to be a business art double major with a music minor and writing songs at 6 a.m. in the dorm basement. I also was working on concert series. Yeah. What ended up happening was my sister, she got on concert series and she told me about it and she was like, you have to come to Hope, you have to do concert series, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm my own person, you know? And she was like, no, it'll be fun. Um, And so I was like, okay, fine, I'll check it out. And freshman year, usually you can only get on the team as a sophomore, but they had someone move to Portland, Oregon, just like overnight. And they were like, oh no, what do we do? And my sister being super cool, she was like, well, I have a sister who came here last week can we, you know, will you like, please, what do they call it? Interview? Yeah. <laughs> will they interview? <laughs> what do you call it? It's the only thing you do, Michaela, right now. I was going like, to say audition. Yeah, right. You've, uh, yeah, there's been plenty of interviews in your, your <laughs> past. But anyway, yes. Yeah. So anyways, I got an interview thanks to my sister and she looked at me and she was like, dude, I got you this interview, but I can't get you this job. So don't mess it up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it went well, got the job, ended up getting promoted to director that next semester training second semester my freshman year starting to direct my sophomore year um and that that aligned me getting to be the director of concert series really aligned with when i crossed paths with drew elliott my academic advisor who totally understood my my mission and that's when things took off and i wouldn't say fell into place because you know it took me the entirety of that year of meeting my advisor getting out of the visual arts somewhat 
and then getting into concert series to have it all shake out. It wasn't like it was an overnight new semester, sure. perfect fit. Right. Um, but over the course of my sophomore year is when I found my place. Through all this, also running parallel at some point, the only place in town really to see shows is the Park Theater. Oh, yeah. Love that place. And that's a 300-ish cap. Yeah, like, 299. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> 300. All right. All right. So sorry. Jeez. Um, <laughs> we don't have the sprinkler system to make it 300. Oh, there you go. Um, I always felt like that place was big for three for, for 299 people, so that would explain it. You don't have exactly. the sprinkler system. Okay. Um, it's really the only place in town that you could see a show mm-hmm. other than like the big uh, community theaters or whatever. So you you decide you're going to get involved there. Where does that fall into it, and what were you working on, and yeah. how, how that all come? Well, kind of an accident, kind of like this whole story has been in the music. I would say the music side of my story is just a total list of collisions. I met the theater front of house through concert series, right? Yeah. Hit it off. Um, really, really cool. His name's John Fiegel. Um, he has a recording studio also in West Michigan, a brilliant musician, just a really, really cool, very active person, especially at the park. And he was like, you know, if you're interested in learning how to do this stuff, why don't you just come by an open mic night? You've got nothing to lose. Half the people are drunk anyways. They won't notice if you like totally screwed up. Sure. And I was like, that's nice of you, but I don't know if that's really like where I'm going. Because at this point, I wasn't fully into the recording arts program. Yeah. Anyways, um, he emailed me a bunch. And I was like, you know what? Really nice person. Really cool theater. I'm there all the time anyways. Why not? Yeah. I showed up. I shadowed him. Actually, I shadowed him on his last day. So, like, it was kind of unfortunate because he left. But when he left, there was a need for just more hands. Um, So I showed up every Tuesday. And I got really close to that team. And we all just learned together. Because when John left, there was a lot of slack to pick up. And so, yeah, it kind of just turned out um, every Tuesday night, I would go, set up the stage, route the signals. I learned what a snake was. I learned how to, you know, really coil cables. Yep. I still don't know how to do that. Oh, it's so fun. It's 10 out of 10. I mean, I kind of know, but I know that I can do it wrong. Nate, we're wrapping cables after this. No, we are not. <laughs> Count me that, in. That's incorrect. <laughs> you and Michaela are wrapping cables and I'm driving home. Deal. Yes. <laughs> Tyler's just happy to have somebody to help. <laughs> hey, happy to be that person. Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what I did at theater, though, was just that person mm-hmm. who was there just to help. And it was great. And sometimes they throw me on the bar, and I didn't know anything because I was underage. I didn't know how to make anything. So all these people would come up, and they'd be like, can I have this drink? And I was like, oh, I've never heard of it. So then I'd be like, how much do you want? And I would just start pouring the alcohol. It was, like, really not good. <laughs> yeah. And so I did that, and then I would plunge the toilets and vacuum, and I was just, like, stoked to be there most likely to show up yeah. <laughs> yeah chris herman in his controversial opinion at the end of the podcast was like it's just about showing up hmm. you know it's like you learn stuff by absorption right absolutely and you can't absorb it if you're not there right so you've always had that yeah is that, have you always had that or is no. that like a new like a thing that you've <laughs> applied purposefully to like make up for something you weren't doing before. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I think that's a good question. I don't really think I have a really grand, eloquent answer for that. I think it just started to happen to me as I got interested in stuff. And, you know, there's also this sense of kind of just curiosity that drives a lot of what I do. Like, oh, how does this work? You know? Yeah. And so I think it was cool, too, with recording arts and, and stuff like that. It kind of became just piece by piece. It wasn't like I set out to learn how to route a signal and do a studio session or any of that. 
Um, that wasn't my end goal. I was just, I saw, like, I remember the first thing that absolutely fascinated me in recording arts was polar patterns on microphones, like cardioid, figure eight, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, it was like, that was enough for me to take the next step. Like, I fell in love with polar patterns, fell in love with wrapping cables, and then here I am trying to figure out how to do front house at a theater. Yeah. Again, it's not something that I really see myself doing as a full-time gig. It's not something I've trained my ears enough for to be like, yes, I'm going to go do that for a number of years. But I also found it really important as a woman to understand how to speak the talk that was being used against me, so to say. Sure. So if I could use these tech terms with these guys that run these theaters. Right. Well, they can't push me around as hard. Yeah. So. No, and that's and, and that's a real thing, right? Like, and I, I'll never know what that feels like. Sure, you know, I, 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 I know that I, through the pandemic, especially, um, Audio Tree being a streaming company first and foremost, yeah, and then you know me bringing like this concert division in Michigan. Most of what I've done the last year is streaming, and I find myself in those situations where I don't know the term, right? right. And the boys can kind of laugh that off, you know, and I know way too many female musicians that have, you know, been in the position of being in the same spot, making right. the same mistake that I make and being ridiculed for it yep. or made to feel less than. Yeah. So good on you to tackle that, bad on us to make mm-hmm. you have to, but good on you to, you know, to continue. And I think for all of us, regardless, it's good to know right. what's going on around you. Yeah. If you can walk into a room and be part of a solution. Exactly. Just because you've been in various places before and seen certain things happen, you know. Yeah. I at least know, you know, you don't put the microphone down into the monitor. <laughs> you, you know, there's basic things that you can just be a part of the solution or part of the problem. Absolutely. And, and I the think, more you know, yeah. you become part of the solution more often, which is good when you're trying to develop a career and, you know, impress people. and. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's important to just to kind of also have an element of self-sufficiency, not again, going back to that whole Taylor Swift, she does everything by herself, like not that type of self-sufficiency, like this illusion, but also like if someone or something doesn't show up, can you step in to make it work? It might not be perfect. I remember I did a wedding gig with a friend of mine in Kalamazoo and uh, the sound guy um, didn't show up until people showed up. And so my friend was freaking out because he's a brilliant musician, but he just hasn't had exposure to theaters and and all that kind of stuff. And so I literally dressed up in all of my wedding gear in a ball gown, quite literally, it was like to the floor, just got on my hands and knees and routed the signal until it worked and put verb on the mics. And by the time the guy showed up, he was like, uh, and I was like, hi, yeah. Like, hello. I got this. I did it. Can yeah. you like press the button now? <laughs> what are you getting paid for? And can you give me all of it? He's I like, did sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so while we're talking about all of these things that make up the current Michaela situation, um, <laughs> the same time you started writing for review. Oh, yeah. That was fun. And that's kind of slowed down a little bit, I think, with everything the that's pandemic, going on right, right. now because there's nobody touring. And it's you're no budget either. Right. And budgets mm-hmm. are tight and everything. But tell me about how that came to be. Yeah. I sent an email to the editor. I was like, hi, uh, <laughs> I'm a sophomore, Hope College. Do you want an intern? And he was like, yeah, why not? Um, and so we met at the Lantern in Grand Rapids and we had a really great chat. And he was like, well, it's November. The internship doesn't start until June. 
So I guess I'll just talk to you in six months. And I was like, all right, thanks. Sounds good. Appreciate your time. And then I got in the car and he sent me an email and he goes, I apologize. Like, I don't need to procrastinate this. Like, I don't want you to, you know, take another job because you're waiting on me. I'm going to hire you now for the summer position if you're down. And it was an unpaid internship. So granted, it wasn't, you know, anything that was going to really stress me out anyways, because I was going to have to do other stuff to begin with. But I was really excited. And I started in June of 2018, interned all summer. Um, There were two other interns, graduates at the time, college graduates, I think they were from Grand Valley, who just stopped showing up like halfway through. (laughs) And so I ended up being the only intern left. And I loved it. I got to work in like this corner office in front of all these windows and like this part of Grand Rapids. And it was, you know, I went to the... um, relax at Rosa every Thursday on my lunch break. And I heard just live musicians all the time. And it was just as really cool. Um, my first kind of dip into the Grand Rapids community as opposed to the Holland community. And at the end of my internship, he hired me to be a journalist there, a staff writer. So I took anything and pitched ideas and did a lot of visual arts because obviously I have a lot more background at that time, 2018, in visual arts than I did in music. So I had the vocabulary to do that and performing arts too. I did a lot of like stuff on the ballet, the Grand Rapids Ballet and the symphonies and whatever. And then as my music started to work its way through, I started doing all the touring music articles in September of 2019. And that was so cool because I ended up moving to Paris at that time and still working for review. And a lot of the bands that I would write on, they did European tours as well. And so I just ended up like press pass to the Lumineers or like hanging out with like Third Eye Blind at like a cafe in Paris after their show. Yeah. And then I was like, what am I doing here? You know, like. But you're writing for the Grand Rapids newspaper. Exactly. Or or, or zine. Yeah. Right. So there I was like writing on like, I don't know, coffee shops in Grand Rapids, where to get the best cold brew. And then six months later, (laughs) I'm at the Lumineers show, like talking to Wesley. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. And you're still, I mean, when, when it comes back, you're yeah. still on that tip right now? Like, you're still doing that a little bit? Yeah, I still write for them as often as I can. There's another wonderful writer who's been there way longer than I have. His name is Eric Mitz. Yeah. And he does a lot of the other touring music stuff, too. So yep. um, it kind of depends on where he's at as well. I really respect his place at Review. And so I take what I can and and what needs to be done. But we really kind of work together we don't talk to each other because we're obviously doing different articles, but we work together to make um, the touring music section really happen. Make room for each other. Right. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you went to Paris, but we're going to get there in a second because there's <laughs> more at home before you go to Paris. Right. Where does Michigan House work into all this? For for those listening, <laughs> like, give us a rundown of what Michigan House is. Oh, yeah. How right. you got involved and what you've done in the last, what, three, four years? Oh, yeah, well, two, if you count this year, three. this is three. Year yeah, three. this year because last, last year didn't, year didn't happen. happen. So fourth <laughs> year, third ad- edition. Right. Yeah. Tell us about Michigan House. Yeah. So Michigan House is a project that it's an experiential embassy in the sense that you bring we bring together creatives from Michigan, entrepreneurs as well, basically change makers, taste makers, people who are doing stuff in Michigan, and we give them a global platform at South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. And so Ted Valley, who is a co-founder of the organization and who hired me, I remember I sat down with him at Ferris, which is a wrap into to the whole story of how I got involved, but Ferris Coffee, and I asked him what Michigan House was, and he was like, well, from Michigan, traveled around, did the whole New York, you know, Colorado stuff, and saw a lot of talent in a lot of places and realized Michigan had 
the same amount of talent in these other places, but they just didn't have a global stage. So he got involved with South by and that became the mission. And I mean, everything and everyone from, you know, there's a mobility day every year. So we talk about cars, you know, that's what Michigan is. Right. Yeah. As well as Bell's beer and boxed water and mad cab and brother Elsie. So it's a whole mash of celebrating everything that's here that deserves to be just as respected as someone or something that comes from LA. StockX and Carhartt. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, what's the watch brand? Shinola. Uh, Sh- yeah, Shinola and all those. So I think Michigan House is the first time that I can tell that you kind of oh, right. became... You don't even know what I'm going to ask. No, I know, but I remember that moment when you were there and then we were like, that was like the first time we actually like chatted, chatted outside of just like local gigs and doing stuff. Oh, yeah, and... yeah. But it was the first time I think that you took all of these skills <laughs> oh. that you had learned from various places. And But I did notice it in that moment. Right. Like when right, I walked right, right. in and you're running around running cables <laughs> and like helping Pete with sound yep. and running the stage. And then also like you're upstairs doing this other thing and you're mm-hmm. over here and then you're running every which way. <laughs> like Michigan House is the ultimate in this like multidisciplinary thing that you, it doesn't matter what your skill set is, you need to help. And like your expertise shines through in certain places and then other places, it's just about having your hands out. Like, what can I help you with? Right. Yeah. So that was the thing that I particularly noticed about you when this all started coming together. You know, it's like Michaela's not canceled plans. Michaela's not whatever the preconceived notion is that I think Michaela might be from the first time I met her and worked with her and her, her band that is her and also a bunch of people, but her and, you know, all of those things. <laughs> yeah. This was when I was like, okay, Michaela can like act on her feet and, mm. and do, you know, like it's what set you apart for me as someone who, and th- I think a big part of this podcast for me is like someone hire this woman <laughs> for real. I want that very badly for you. And I, I think that you're you're like the top free agent in the class right now. <laughs> and that's the way I think of you. But this was yes. the first moment where I felt that, hmm. yeah. you know, being involved in this and being such a core part of this thing that is not super <laughs> defined. Right? right. Oh, absolutely. It's like it's world class, but it's also just like, I, I don't want to say thrown together, but yeah, it's it's just like. Uh, people are going to show up and we'll see what happens, right? It's a collage. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. A collage that's with no plan. Yeah, you a, know. A ton of planning, but also like all flexibility in the We end. know there's going to be a start and an end. Yes. And whatever pieces get torn together and pasted in the middle. Right. We're here for it. Right. That's exactly it. So what did you, what did, I know what I took away from seeing hmm. you in action here, but what do you, what did you take away from your first Michigan house? Michigan House is probably the pinnacle of everything I love in life, just thrown together into one absolutely beautiful experience. And I have so much gratitude for Ted and everybody else who's involved in that organization. You know, I talked a lot about in my kind of youthful conversation part of like being 17 or whatever and trying to be taken seriously. And I think it was the moment where like Michigan House took me more serious than I took myself. And it allowed me to grow into the person that I knew that I wanted to be. Yeah. But I had the imposter syndrome behind this effort to be taken seriously and then looking for the platform to kind of put all this energy and see, like, test my limits, so yeah. to say. Yeah. And Michigan House gave me that. You're feeling this imposter syndrome that you keep going back to. 
but you're running side by side with Jamie and <laughs> Bethany yeah. and AB right. and Pete and Ted, these people that are just awesome. Good and you're point. holding your own, <laughs> you know, like that had to be a confidence booster to be like, hell yeah, not only did I survive <laughs> that, but I did, I did good, right? Like, did you ever feel that? Do you ever have a moment yeah. through all that where you're like, <laughs> I belong here? Yeah, I think that's a funny that you say that. The bartender we had that year, he we were loading out, tearing down the venue, which you saw the refinery is two stories. It was massive. It was yeah. a full scale venue, but we brought everything in a semi truck. So right, it was right. all of our own doing that we had to like tear down, right? And we were all exhausted. And the bartender told me that I was the strongest, littlest person he'd ever met. <laughs> and that was just like such a simple yet profound affirmation for me because it didn't take away from who I was. I didn't have to be bigger or look different or become something outside of the physical parameters I've been given. Five yeah. foot, four and a half, you know, to be able to do this, right? Yeah. Like here I was, I'm extremely feminine. Like I love fashion. I love, you know, taking care of myself and hair and makeup and all these things that sometimes dock you points in the man's club when you're trying to be, you know, in a venue and you've got to have the black leather boots and the black sweatshirt and the stain from yesterday's pizza from the gas station. You're like, you got to have these things to like sure. show that you're you can hold your own too. But, you know, I kind of bypassed that. And I was like, no, I'm not going to change the things that make me feel like me on the outside. And to see that recognized on the inside, to be a strong, tiny person was just awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you see some of that in Jamie and in Bethany too. I'm oh, sure yeah. you probably absorbed a lot of that from the women Absolutely. around Michigan House. It's a really diverse and really cool team in that way that there's so much power coming, not only from the people speaking. Right. You know, yeah. that, that that they do a really great job of like representing all kinds of different communities and walks of life and, and races and, and everything Absolutely. else, you know, really inclusive in that way. But then also the people behind the scenes kind of match that same, Absolutely. you know, which in this business is hard, right? right? Like there isn't a lot of, there's a lot of like putting people in boxes, right? Right. We know this, like, mm -hmm. you know, there there's a lot of white people in this type of music right. and there's a lot of black people in this type of music mm -hmm. and there's a lot of this and that. But it's not always like mixed so vigorously like it is yeah. at Michigan House and at South by in general, right? right? Where you just like throw everybody in the pot and we figure <laughs> it out, you know? So I'm glad that it, for you, checked the boxes that it seemed like from the outside that it was checking for you. Yeah, I noticed absolutely. that about you when you came home from that first time. You were yeah. on top of your shit. Yeah. You know, you became part of it. Oh. Like it wasn't like, hey, I'm this kid and I want to do stuff. Right. It was like, hey, no, I'm doing stuff now. <laughs> and that was really cool. So you developed this love and you're you're showing off Michigan and then soon after the first year mm -hmm. you go to Paris, right? Yeah. So you leave us. Whoops. And you go overseas. <laughs> Tell me, I feel like there's a story. Is there a story about your mom in yeah. Paris and things? So so yeah. remind me, refresh my memory that Paris was a like a a, th a thing. A symbol for her. Yeah. And you going there kind of tie, tie that together for yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's there. I just, I'd rather hear your voice. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's, uh, it's an interesting story. So I remember I was really little and again, had a lot of family turbulence growing up and it didn't really give my mom the opportunity to express herself and her artistry. And so I remember she would always make room for me to dream, even though things seemed like they were completely falling apart. And my dreams at the time were like, oh, I want to be a cashier at Target and a cheerleader and, you know, like all these things. Right. And 
I just remember one time I was sitting on her bed and I asked her what her dreams were. Like, what does she dream about? And she was like, oh, you know, like, what do you dream about? You know, like, she didn't answer. Yeah. And I asked her again. And she was like, well, I don't really have any dreams, you know. And it's like, I'm sure that there are a million reasons why she didn't give herself permission to have them. I asked a third time. And it's just showing my stubborn side of myself that I still have. <laughs> right. And uh, she was like, well, I've always wanted to go to Paris. And my mom being my hero then and now, it was just inbred in me that that was going to happen for her or for somehow that is going to happen in her spirit. And there were always pictures of the Eiffel Tower and French sayings. And uh, my mom is, she grew up on a farm, but you'd think she's European. Like, she's just very refined and then just carries herself in a way that reminded me a lot of what I saw and felt in Paris. And so, yeah, when I got older um, and started getting into the visual arts and things, um, well, we did go to Paris. She she sold her diamond ring, her engagement ring, and that's how we got, like, a hotel room. And we went on standby tickets, which are those, like, flight passes where you're not guaranteed a seat. You just hope for the best. Right. Um. We flew on those. They were so much cheaper than just buying a ticket straight out. And that's how we went to Paris for the first time. Yeah. And it was really cool seeing it through her eyes. And then I knew I wanted to do it again. So my freshman year of hope in 2017, I got a grant to go to Paris to study art history. In 2018, I got another grant through a program called the Mellon Scholars to study and do undergraduate research in the archives at the American Library in Paris, which is this massive English language library um, right next to the Eiffel Tower. And so I did that over the summer of 2018. And then in the summer of 2019, I got a huge grant to spend the year there after. It was a grant for women pursuing something in business in a foreign language. And my major being recording arts, media marketing, and I enrolled in the Paris School of Business. And it was all going to be mostly in French. Um, there was one of these scholarships available and it ended up going to me because I wrote a letter about my mom teaching me how to be a woman. And that is how I made it to Paris was through her spirit. And that's how I got the money to go to Paris was because I wrote an essay on her. Sure. So yeah, that's the story. So obviously I, I think that will lead us to like the end of the the pre-COVID times. Right. So you, you got to go with your mom before you went there for school. I so you traveled like 2014. The, okay. Yeah. Did your mom get to visit you while you were in school as well? Yeah, she visited me in November of 2019. And what was that like? It was really cool. So compare yeah. that, I guess, to like the trip where you went mm. as tourists and now you live there. And obviously at November, you had been there probably a couple months at that right. point. But it was like your third. You you were pretty pro at it. Yeah, I knew the city. Did you guys... Um, I could just imagine like a movie <laughs> where like you're now there... Yeah. And you guys are living that life. Like, mm -hmm. is there a moment that you can remember in France where you could see it on your mom's face, how like it was hitting her or was it ever like that? I think the coolest part for me is I've always had this ever since I was little. I mean, really little. I've always wanted to protect her. Mm -hmm. And again, there are a million reasons as to why I developed that at a young age, but she never asked me for it. But it was always just something I had. And so when we first went to Paris, when I was a lot younger, always been a very, I would say way less so now, but growing up super anxious. And I experienced culture shock and I wasn't prepared. And so when we got to Paris for the first time, I was pretty anxious the entire time. I enjoyed it. We had a great trip, but I needed her to be my mom. 
right? Yeah, right. And so we didn't speak any French, obviously. Um, when I got there and moved there um, and had learned a lot of French just by living there, my favorite part about the experience was turning the tables and allowing me to take the suitcase from her hands and the language barrier from her lips and be that person Yeah. to make it easy for her. And that was really special. And just to watch her, you know, order a croissant, a croissant, <laughs> and um, just enjoy it and like not have to think about it. Yeah. I don't think she's had that privilege very often in her life. Has she, have you had conversations about this? Like after the fact, like you remember that day when we were yeah, eating the croissant and the... <laughs> In the park or, you know, like, yeah. do you reminisce on it pretty hard? We do. We do reminisce on it a lot. I think um, any chance that I can see her or give her the opportunity to feel empowered, I think that's really important to me. Yeah. And safe. You yeah. know, safety is a huge thing for her. Yeah. And so to make her feel safe and empowered is probably the biggest gift that I as her daughter could have. Yeah. Your relationship is really cool. It's really it's, tight. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been neat to be a part, you know, yeah. not, not really a part, I guess that's probably overrated. No. But just but just being aware of it, being in, in the in that orbit, you know, she's absolutely she's advocated on your behalf multiple times and you've right. been very thoughtful on her behalf. It's it's really neat to watch. So obviously so now we're talking November twenty nineteen, your mom's over there and then she comes home and then Christmas and then February twenty twenty, shit starts hitting the fan. <laughs> with covid and it's over there first right yeah so we're over here just being americans and we're protected we're fine everything's okay it's kind of jealous <laughs> and shit's getting wild over there yeah obviously in italy first mm -hmm. and, and some other places in europe but then at what point did you know and we don't need to go super deep here but right, at what right. point did you know like uh oh <laughs> well <laughs> this is not i'm not finishing my semester here yeah, I think I was a little bit numb at this point because I'm not going to lie, moving abroad, it is so hard. Yeah. It is so hard, especially if it's not your language yep. and you don't know anyone when you get there. Um, and so I just gotten over that hump of, you know, just learning how to be a human being in this new culture and place. And it takes it takes a while. So I think I was kind of numb when COVID started to hit the papers. We had just gotten through a massive, like France's largest strike in decades yeah. that shut down the transportation. And so what a lot of people don't know about my senior year is that I actually finished my first semester in Paris online because it was unsafe for us to get to the universities in Paris because the strikes and the demonstrations and was so bad and we didn't have any transport. So there's no way we could even get from one part of the city to the other. Yeah. So I'd already finished my semester online and I already had went home in December in tears because I was so stressed and it was so hard. Yeah. It doesn't overshadow the beautiful experiences I had in Paris. But again, this isn't Hollywood. I am not talking from a Netflix TV show. Like right. this is, this is, was my life. Real life. And yeah. so it was hard. And I went back to Paris totally like, all right, no strike, new semester. Let's do this. Six weeks later, Italy closes its borders they didn't cancel Paris Fashion Week. I was like, I'm sorry. You just had Fashion Week in Italy. Right when Fashion Week ended, Italy shut down, and you're still having Fashion Week in Paris? Yeah. All these people <laughs> that were just there are now coming here. And it's obvious the influx yeah. during Fashion Week in Paris. It's massive. Sure. And um, it's fun. 
if you're a part of it and right. it, you're safe, <laughs> but it's not fun. Well, it's the same conversation South by was having exactly. a couple weeks later is like all these people are going to come from everywhere. Right. Like if this was just a bunch of Texans getting together, right. that'd be one thing. But like this is literally the one thing they tell us not to do as we're trying to figure out what's going on is like to travel to other places and bring your your germs with you. Exactly. You know what I mean? So this is all starting to come unglued here. Right. And you were in another country at that time. I was in Denmark. What were you doing in Denmark? I had my friend's sweater and I needed to give it back. <laughs> I know there's more to it than that, obviously. <laughs> not a ton, actually. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Um, I met a friend. Uh, we were both international students at the Paris School Business. We really hit it off. We met each other on a boat. And it was like this party for international kids. And it's just a group of us. And we went to a jazz club and just kind of kept hanging out after that. And I was walking home one night. It was super cold. And he was like, take my sweater. It will be nice. And I was like, but I don't want your sweater. He goes, no, I have to, you know, be a good friend or whatever. Yeah. So I took a sweater. And, uh, yep, because of the strikes, he left before I could get it back to him. So we made this joke like, oh, why don't you come to Copenhagen and come, you know, hang out with me and my girlfriend and um, you just bring me back my sweater. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, sure. Because his girlfriend was from Paris. So we went in the same weekend. We didn't know each other or anything. Yeah. Um, but both of us had gone and, and I was going to give him a sweater and I never got to. So sorry, Magnus, if you're listening, I still have your sweater. Someday. Yeah. So so at that point, you get the call like, oh, yeah, you have to, it's time to come home. Well, yeah, because I was alone in a hostel because I was going to go with another friend. And obviously, I wasn't going to stay with my friend who lived there because, I mean, we were friends, but it's not like, you know, I expect you yeah. know, a place to stay. Right. I only have your sweater, you know. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I was staying at a hostel and I heard when you live abroad, especially in a different language speaking country, um, you really listen for your accent and your dialect of your own language. So, like, for example, I would hear English often in Paris, but it would often be British English. So when I heard an American accent, my ears would totally tune in. Yeah. And at this time, there was a girl in the hallway and she was yelling bad things about Trump in an American English accent. And I was like, oh, relatable. But like, I'm just going to go to bed. Um, and then 30 minutes later, I got a phone call from my mom and it kind of all stitched together that she was yelling political things because... He was about to close the borders. Yeah, with no, nothing. I was in a hostel in Denmark yeah. dreaming about oatmeal. Like, that's really all I wanted. I wanted to get up in the morning, yeah. go get some really fancy Danish oatmeal, give my friend back a sweater, catch up on life, fly back to Paris and finish my semester. And instead, you race back to Paris. I did. Next flight out of Denmark, 20 hours in Paris to pack up my apartment. Couldn't get a flight back to the United States because they all sold out. So I flew into Canada. Across the Canadian border 30 minutes before the U.S. border closed. So basically it went Denmark for 15 hours, including the overnight. Right. Paris for 20-ish, 24 hours. Not quite 24. Packed up my stuff. I still have three bags of stuff there. Sorry, everyone who has my stuff in your tiny little Parisian apartments. Flew into Dublin, Ireland. Flew into Toronto, Canada. Crossed the borders 30 minutes before it closed. Had COVID, didn't know that, got to my dad's house, spent the night there, woke up, super sick, got thrown into a hotel for a night, got tested for COVID, got thrown into an Airbnb for a month, tested positive for COVID, had to drop a class, had to do all this stuff. That is the start of my 2020. And, you know, we talked about how 
it's not Netflix, but that sure sounds like a movie to me. <laughs> that was like, surreal. Not, yeah, like a like a tough movie. I'm glad it worked out the way it did, obviously. Yeah. In the end, that you got better. <laughs> but you were the first person I knew. Right. A lot of people. To have COVID. And, right. And we didn't know what we knew about it. So you took it. We take it seriously now. But, right. I mean, you were isolated for a Absolutely. good solid month. And, and we don't need to to dredge that up too deeply, but that had to be hard. Yeah, it was really scary because, and actually that was one of the things that, um, one of the reasons I actually haven't driven more than an hour and a half since that time was because I had really intense flashbacks and nightmares after sure. kind of this um, travel experience. And I'm not going to lie, like when I got, was when I was actively getting kicked out of France, I had so much fun. I mean, talk about not having anything in your control and making the best of it. Like that was just what I did. I was in a really serious relationship at the time in France. And I knew that this could be the last time I I would see him for a very long time. So we got ice cream. We went to my favorite restaurant. We went to the bar with all of our friends that night. Like we literally had this amazing last hurrah. Sure. And so when I got home and everything was shut down, it was like, whoa, 24 hours ago, I was in a bar with my boyfriend and all of our friends in, in Paris. Paris. Right, right. And now I'm alone in an Airbnb and it feels like there's a massive golden retriever sitting on my chest. Oh. I cannot breathe. Yeah. There's a woman from the Ingham County Health Department calling me every few hours to make sure I'm still alive. Yeah. University of Michigan sent me a gift card to participate in their study because we didn't know anything about anyone. Right. A girl from um, one of my best friend's sisters called me from her school newspaper and did a whole article on me getting kicked out of countries and why it's important to take COVID seriously. Like it just felt like, and I kind of just took it all in stride. And I was open about my COVID experience on social media because I had a lot of friends too, who were like, do I have allergies or do I have COVID? Cause this was March, like sure. it's allergy yeah. season. Yeah. And I was like, guys, like just send me a message. And the amount of messages in my inbox of people being like, I feel sick. I feel this way. What do I do? And I'm like, trust me. Let me tell you exactly what it feels like to have the current strain of COVID. You don't have it. Like, you're fine. Or you should go get checked out. Exactly. Oh, right, 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 right. right. Luckily, I didn't run into any of that. Yeah. But yeah, I was locked in for a while. Tyler, isn't this intense? It's pretty intense. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to put in some, like, really... Really good music dun, behind ha- Haunting it. music in the background. <laughs> so, you got better. I did. No symptoms anymore. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Managed to keep the spread under control from your bubble, right? Right. Well, the reason I couldn't quarantine at home, I mean, luckily, nobody wants to be in Lansing, so Airbnbs are super cheap. But yeah. the reason I couldn't quarantine at home was because my mom's previous health Issues like sure, it would have knocked her right out. We can't right. have that, <laughs> right? So, you had to take it as serious as anybody right. had to. And Absolutely. Early on, we were all we didn't know what it was, we didn't know what Absolutely. to do, we didn't, you know. But the world continues to turn mm-hmm. for all of us. For you, uh, tell me about the last you know year since we tried to do this last oh, right. in May. Yeah, you were just feeling better at that point. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it was May. It felt like it was cold weather. Like when we I know. did this, I felt thought we did this in like I was like Tyler asked earlier, and I was like I don't know November December. It was May. It was almost a year ago. <laughs> That's crazy. That's insanity. Wow. Obviously, you've you've had this externship at mm-hmm. United Talent Agency, which is something that you and I talked about quite a bit. What? Tell us about that, and tell us about kind of everything else. I mean, you're you're still doing stuff. What are you working on right now? <laughs> 
Yeah, it was What is the 23 things that are running parallel <laughs> in 2021? That- That's so funny. Yeah, so when I got home and everything had switched on its head, it was like, well, I'm suddenly not in my French apartment. I'm in an apartment in Lansing alone. I'm suddenly not speaking a different language every day. I'm back in English, you know? And it's just, it was a total 180 switch professionally as well. Yeah. I went back to my high school job baking um, at a bakery, which was awesome. I'm so grateful for my boss to have given me the opportunity to be employed during that time. But it was scary. It was hard at times because, you know, I'd already had COVID and, you know, to be in food service during the height of the pandemic wasn't necessarily comforting, but it was still important to have at the time. I started teaching high school French, did that for a few months, and then got this externship at the United Talent Agency, which totally was a lift in my spirits. There was a point where I was in my childhood bedroom working my first job after everything I had done overseas. And I was like, what? Like the circular what? <laughs> nature of that had to What's be that? had to be haunting, right? Yeah. Like, oh. Like yeah. all that I've done and here I am fucking back. Look, I'm 41 years old and I live across the street from my old high school. So I know, <laughs> right? I know what you're talking about, but there are moments in time yeah. that aren't related to a pandemic or whatever where you're like this is where i'm back to right but it's really great that you had that to fall back on Mm -hmm. and you seem to have the right attitude about it that was really nice of your old boss and it was really great to to lean back into these these old things but when you got the externship with uta it kind of like reinvigorated the fire like relit the fire a little bit yeah that was huge for me i was super nervous about it because Back in May, when we were having our last podcast that failed, um, (laughs) I uh, had an interview with them and they were having a new Nashville agent training crew come in, which is the very first step, right? Mailroom before you become an agent's assistant. And I had applied back in March, got my first interview end of April, beginning of May. They had a May 18th start date and I was looking at apartments on Facebook Marketplace in Nashville. I was like, okay, this is happening. Obviously that got furloughed, but they were gracious enough to pause my application and they did not ask me to reapply or anything. They just kept me where I was. And so later that year, I got a call from the New York City mailroom manager and she was like, hey, are you interested in still being with us? And I was like, yeah. And then a few months later, she invited me into this externship and I had no idea what to expect. Like, absolutely no idea. It's a month long. It was all digital. And it basically ended up being like a massive crash course in the United Talent Agency and in the side of the business that I had never seen, which was corporate. I'm such a grassroots entrepreneurial driven person that's my priority and where my heart is and so i was super nervous going into the united talent agency because i even got some messages from some of our friends who you know book venues around the state and they were like don't get all agency on us okay (laughs) right right i won't i promise it was super empowering because all (laughs) agency i know that yeah every one of my peers in this experience was based in New York or LA or had was working at Twitter and BuzzFeed and Warner and had interned at UTA or CAA or Paradigm, which is RIP. But like all of these things that I just, I mean, there I was. Michigan, you know, (laughs) not to devalue Michigan, but oh my gosh, there were 50 of us and I was the only one in the Midwest. I was like, what the? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been in the music business based in Heartland, Michigan. For, exactly. You know, the hub of, if you were to flip this and interview me, I'd talk about getting my starts in Owasso, Michigan. I love that. And you got it in Holland, you know, like. Right, absolutely. Tell me about 
oh, you know what? Let's do this first. Okay. I have to shout out Two Foot Parade, which is our sponsor. Do it. Uh, Two Foot Parade is an independent record label from Kalamazoo slash Niles, Michigan, and um, run by a, a friend a friend now, which is really great. I love new friends. I love making friends, <laughs> especially now. It's so great. Right. Gabe is such a fantastic person, and, and I posted on Facebook uh, some time ago, just kind of a flippant, like, man, it'd be great if somebody uh, paid for this podcast. I remember it's really that. important. And Gabe messaged me. It was like, yo, I'll pay for this podcast. That's awesome. And here we are. We're in episode six, and it's all ba- all due to uh, Two Foot Parade and their uh, generosity. Their... Um, a record label that really is uh, focused on the artist. They've got really neat deals in the way they set up the deal structure with the artist where they don't own any of the rights. They're just putting out the piece of art, you know, it's yeah. tapes or they still believe in CDs oh, cool. as being like a tangible thing. Right. And they make these most, the most beautiful stuff for as independent as they are. Um, there's a new tape out by Shane Cool, and it's just this gorgeous tape. Uh, I looked that up pink. and it's sweet. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> yeah. And like they have a graphic designer named Tucker who just hit that one out of the park. And I don't know. It's just really cool. They have this, this, uh, the way that they pay the artist is basically they set up the pressing and they pay all the advanced costs. And then once half of the, the tapes sell, they pay them for all of the tapes. Like what they're, wow. what the, basically like, okay, if we get to halfway, right. It's obvious that we're going to pay all. So they just write one check and like, here's the money for all of them as if they sold. Wow. They're just taking that like risk of just based on like, okay, people are buying this. So obviously they're going to buy it. And it's just a really simple transaction, right? It's just one, it's one thing. And it's just, it's just such a thoughtful, cool idea. And Gabe and, and, and their friends are, they're just in this for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. It's just fun. And it's about, the coolness of of the physical, tangible nature of owning a cassette or a CD of your, you know, having it to to give to your friends, yeah. right? So, Two Foot Parade can be found online at twofootparade.com, at Two Foot Parade on social media, and please go spend some time on those websites. Um, we just want to thank Two Foot Parade for their support, and they make this podcast possible, so uh, we can sit here and and reminisce about our friendship and our our Mm -hmm. past and everything so thanks gabe yeah thank you um so i was gonna ask about your hometown Mm, yeah if i asked you what is your hometown what what answer do you give me like Like, an actual place i don't know i just no i just ask you what is your hometown like (laughs) oh fine okay where where are you from (laughs) yeah like a physical place (laughs) that's the thing i'm asking you as a, a rolling stone magazine interviews canceled plans and mm. wants to know where canceled plans is from where is canceled plans from east lansing okay so east lansing yeah, is yeah, home yeah. Yes. that's your hometown yes you live in holland now i do now you lived in paris for a while right you grew up in lansing east lansing yes, area. yes exactly east lansing's your home what are your feelings about how east lansing supports art and music on a greater scale and then also just how it supported you yeah east lansing is a really interesting place because It is university-driven. I think that was cool for me growing up because there was always, like, so the age of college students doesn't change, right? right? The people who are in that age range do. So growing up, my town remained the same age all the time. There's a a joke there, right? (laughs) But yes, yeah, the, right. the energy remains at that same youthful, hormone-filled 
fury all the time. It's energetic, to say the least. Yes. I mean, burning couches, like, you never know when you were going to, like, stumble on one of those. Sure, right. (laughs) So I really appreciated that. I think the other thing I appreciated, when I got my job at the coffee shop um, that I worked at during the pandemic, um, my boss also let me take a lot of ownership in my position there, too. So I was a manager there, and so I was there all the time. He joked I was going to have to start paying him because I was there so much. Um, My boss did. And that actually gave me just some of the coolest friends ever. I mean, the people that I talked to were like, I don't know, the guy who runs the cyclotron and like splits atoms. And then my friend who was getting his PhD in something that I still don't understand. And then my other friend who was an undergrad philosophy student going to law school. And it's like to be 17 and have exposure to that type of intellect um, was so beyond me. And so empowering. And so I would say East Lansing is vibrant and energetic and exciting. But I would say there's a time that, I mean, as often as I got excited to be there and I loved being there, I also rolled my eyes at being there because it was just tiring sometimes. Like, I just wanted to get home. But there was an MSU U of M game. (laughs) I just couldn't get home. (laughs) Right, right. Would you say, you know, based on your Michigan house Hmm. experience Mm -hmm. and some of the Michigan front Michigan forward activity. Do you love Michigan or do you just put energy into where you are naturally? Is there something special about Michigan? Yeah, there totally is. I mean, obviously, I'll put my energy anywhere um, because I think that I posted a meme on Twitter that I found on another social media site. I don't know which one. Um, that's how it works. You yeah. just are the first one to post it on Instagram or from Twitter or vice versa for your friends. And that's all we hope for is like one LOL response. Like, oh, I didn't see that one yet. <laughs> exactly. I was like, this is my favorite meme of 2020. And it was this like cartoon, really wonky, brightly colored drawing of a guy riding a bike. And as the meme progressed, the guy stuck um, a stick into his bicycle wheel and ended up falling off the bike at the end. That's the storyline. His own bike. His own bike. Yeah. Right, he right. I've totally seen, self-sabotaged. I've seen this, yeah. I've seen this multiple times, but there's different punch Different texts. Exactly. Yeah. This one. So that was the premise of the storyline. The text was, says, uh, local music scene sucks, doesn't participate in anything or actively try to make it better. And then just like falls off the bike. Right. And that's my favorite meme of 2020 and in life, I really think, because that is how I view the scene. It's like you get as much as you give. I think of that. I think that goes for absolutely anything. Um, I think most people would agree with that kind of blanket statement. And so for me, Michigan, I mean, I brag on Michigan every chance someone gives me permission. I mean, in Paris, especially, Yeah, you talk to people who have never been to the United States or have been to California or New York or Texas. Sure. And I'm like, but have you ever heard of Michigan? And they're like, is that over by Washington? And I'm like, no, let me tell you about Michigan. Right. And so it was really cool. And I mean, Michigander, for example, is like a huge um, catalyst for me to share that space with my friends because his name is perfect. His sound encapsulates like who we are a lot too. And lyrically, you know, even just like with the highway names and, sure. you know, crossing the straight state lines and things like his lyrics are 7-Eleven, like neon signs. Like there's just so much to it in his lyrics that I love to share with my friends. So there's a huge pride of Michigan inside of me. And I think that's first and foremost in everything I do, even when I travel and plan on moving back and forth while I'm young in these different places. Michigan is always my fourth thought, I guess. It's always what's front and center in my mind. I found a really cool venue that reminded me of the pyramid scheme. 
in Paris. And I told all my friends and I was like, let me book you here. I have friends that are good enough musicians to back you. Just get on a plane, just you and your guitar. And let's do a show in Paris. I want Michigan people in Paris. So yeah, it's all centered around Michigan for me. I don't think I'll ever let go of that, even if I end up spending time somewhere else. I was going to say, how do we keep you? (laughs) How do we keep that energy here? Well. And that's, I mean, that's a big (laughs) conversation right like that could be a panel at michigan house all by itself is like keeping talent here and i don't mean talent in like the dismissive way of like you're worth something to capitalism i mean like (laughs) how do we keep people who love here Here. and love to broadcast how cool it can be here yeah and that can go for any hometown right Right. whether it's heartland or wyandotte here or you move you know, right. you're like, I don't want to be here because of the negatives. So then you move to a place where there's less negatives and more positives. But then once you've moved a few times, you maybe don't have that like entrepreneurial love that you had for the first place. But now that's gone too because you've left it. Right. And that place has become worse by your leaving. Right. So how do we keep you? I think in my case, at least, like, this is actually the opposite answer. But. I think giving people the permission to leave and come back is really important. I think everything is so mobile. Well, let's forget about the pandemic. Everything is so mobile these days, right? Sure, We're right. able to go and, and be. I remember. You're, what, you're able to be a, a Michigan journalist living right, in Paris. Exactly. Yeah. And like you can take your market with you. You can take your understanding of your home with you, um, business and personal. And I remember one of my first Michigan house meetings, we would meet every Thursday and Pete Fox would be on tour and he would just be like in a hotel or walking down the street to get dinner or blah, 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 just on a meeting. And me never being exposed to that. Like it was just so cool because yeah. I was like, here we are, Michigan house. And only half of us are in Michigan. Right. So I think that mobility is really important. I have a lot of friends who have moved, you know, obviously to LA and things like that. And it's honestly just another part of their story another part of their ability of, you know, self-development and self-growth and realizing who they are and where they came from and why they are the way they are. And then if they find their way back, they do. Is there a reason to pine for the nostalgia of a day where we weren't so connected Hmm. and therefore, you know, regional music communities and scenes have kind of gone the way of the bird, right? Like it used to be that there was a Midwest sound and there was a Motown sound and there was a Nashville sound. And there still are those things to a certain degree, but it's not like it was. And it could be like from town to town. You could go to Grand Rapids and notice that like there's all these bands in 2004 that like led to La Dispute. Hmm. And there's all of these bands in, I mean, Tyler knows this, we, we are both Livingston County people and, and kind of established our musical roots there. And like two towns five miles apart in Howell and Brighton couldn't have different music, more right. different music scenes 15 years ago. And now we all are part of this global community. So if we want to have a Latin infused uh, rock band in the whitest town, and it's, it's fine. Right. You can do it. Right. So like, I don't know if that's a nostalgia that we need to have, hmm, like of that, like, question. remember regional, regional, because there's bias that comes with that too, right? There's negatives that come with that right. like closet mentality. So 
I just wonder about that yeah. a lot because, like, you know, as people move to L.A., mm -hmm. but they still, like, do Michigan. But, like, do they even know what Michigan is once right. they've been out there for yeah. a while? You know, it's this whole thing. I don't know if there's really an answer to that question. I just wonder it a lot. No, it's a really interesting thing to wonder, I think, because I didn't experience the regional sounds. I don't know if I have, you know, a lot of, like, I don't, I can't add any nostalgia, right? Because I wasn't there for it. But I guess for me, what has been really cool is, like, you go somewhere else and you bring who you know with you in some ways. And I guess we trade off some of that regional sound that I think is has place to have nostalgia for, has place to even, like, in some cases, if you need to grieve it, right? Sure. Like, let it be what it was and and accept what is. But at the same time, what really excites me is, like, seeing my friends play their first L.A. gig. And knowing yeah. 10 years ago what it would have taken to get a gig out there. Sure. Yeah. The globalness of right. everything has made that more possible for sure. Yeah. You know, in a much more organic and fair, equitable sort of way. So, yeah. I mean, maybe if you look at it from that respect of like, okay, there's there's loss here of mm -hmm. a certain thing, but with that it comes a, a, a gain in another place. Yeah. That maybe if we look at it from that perspective, and I think that I'm shit, that probably applies to every single thing <laughs> in life, right? You know, it's it's the idea of the, I, I don't want to compare to this, but I have to now. Um, <laughs> it's in my head and I got to get it out. Like the make America great again. Oh, it's like, yeah. what are we comparing again to? Exactly. Right. But are there things that we miss about a certain time period right. for us personally? Sure. Now, yeah. I don't tie that to any sort of political, political rally and red red baseball cap. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just I just think of like, man, I wish that there was a Midwest sound, hmm. you know, but I don't want to like lose the gains that we've had in, right. in, in being less ableist and less racist and right. less sexist and less everythingist that that <laughs> maybe came with that time as well. Right. Because right? if you think about for me personally, that sound was brought up uh, together by a whole bunch of white men hmm. right sure. that like midwestern emo thing absolutely it wasn't a very diverse place you know yeah so you think like oh my favorite bands are from that era and then you're like who's in those bands mm, they yeah. all look the same they all, you know is that a good thing yeah. I, I love the songs but like why would i hope for that again you know mm. I, I would hope for something better right right and hopefully what's better is what's here now you know yeah. I, I don't think, know. This yeah. is all super deep. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I love it. Um, I think maybe if the sound has lessened, the story has stayed the same. Yeah. So I think that for me is, I mean, I always go back to a lens of storytelling. I don't care what the story sounds like, what's in the story itself. Right. And I don't think the story of the Midwest and the Midwest music scene and Michigan in general has gotten weaker, even though maybe the sound has. Not weaker in the sense of less quality, but that sort of tight-knit. The cohesion right. of it is, yeah, right. Maybe that's pulled apart. Sure. But if anything, I feel like our collective narrative is stronger than ever. Yeah, and yeah, and, and honestly, if you think about what defines Michigan music today, it's a very much more of a palette of colors. Yeah. You know, whether it's Tunday or Jax. Absolutely. Or Brian Iglesias or Parkway in Columbia or Canceled right. Plans or, you know, it's it's being told from a lot of different voices. And even then I hear, I, I like, I know when a song was made by my friends who live in Detroit versus sure. my friend. Like, I hear it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's in production styles. That's exactly. In what, that's what the songwriting is talking mm -hmm. about. 
on that note, what is one musical artist that you're really into right now that you want to like shout out and get behind? And this can be somebody on the local level or somebody that's a big deal that, <laughs> you know, that you want to go see in an arena. But like, who's something you really believe in right now? That's such a good question. And you can't have T-Swift or BTS because Alex took those <laughs> last week. Don't worry. Yeah, I think, let's see, on a big level, let's start big, go smaller, go more regional. An artist that's been just totally caught me off guard and been super influential for me and obviously millions of other people around the world, triple platinum in the UK, is um, Louis Capaldi. Mm. My friend is their drummer, and we met when he was on the road years ago in a different band and he was in the Japanese house at the time and then he switched over and I didn't really know anything about Louis Capaldi. And so I literally would have never listened to his music if my friend wouldn't have started drumming for him. And his music totally changed the way that I saw pop structures and pop songwriting yeah. and pop production. And so that's just been hugely influential to me. Um, and also just to be around you know, some of the creativity behind it and to go to their shows and experience it in a different way has definitely opened my eyes to like one of my 2021 goals, for example. I actually set this goal in 2020. It was just unachievable because I didn't have a full size keyboard and I got kicked out of the country. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyways, all, all, all of those things <laughs> um, was to learn Louis Capaldi's divinely inspired to a hellish extent front to back on the piano. And so I started that in January. I bought the songbook and I'm literally just going through and I'm learning every single one of his songs because I think they're that good and they're that worth sitting with for months on end. So I have a lot of respect for that artist um, in general and on a personal level, obviously, because of my friendship behind it, but also as a um, the songs I want to write. That's wild know? that your drum your friend played with the Japanese house. Yeah. Because I asked this question to Alex. And Alex said, the Japanese house. Get is, out. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So, like, yeah, how so do we cool. keep crashing together? <laughs> if that's anything, you know, if that tells anything of, like, the tight-knitness oh, of, totally. of the Michigan little core. Like, you and Alex don't spend a lot of time together, but you still, but like, chat, yeah. your influences are, like. 100%. Yeah, yeah. So, that it's still that's there. so cool. <laughs> it's still there. It's just not in the way that it maybe was. Right. So, on a local level, who's somebody that you're <sighs> you're really vibing on right now? Well, I mean— I feel like I always talk about Michigander, but his new EP is just amazing. Yeah. So I definitely want to give that the space that it deserves to be celebrated right now. Um, Jax Anderson. Oh, my gosh. The song she came out with. Uh, oh, my gosh. Is that I Don't Care? That's the title, right? Yeah, I don't I care I listened to anymore. it like four times on the way down yeah. here. That track hits home for me. On so, except for the cat hair. I have dogs. Um, so <laughs> many levels. Like, she came out with that, and I was like, wow. Like, you really just took two minutes and smashed it. Yeah. And that was awesome. I've really wanted to get Jackson here, but we've had this two-hour conversation, yeah. Jackson and I, right. quite a few times in the last year or two. And that song is the conversation that mm -hmm. we've had. Yeah. The one that, like, got her over the hump. Wow. Of, like, mm -hmm. she did care. She cared about everything. She cared about everything way too much, and mm -hmm. it was, like, killing her. And then she finally got to where, like, I'm just going to fucking make art. I'm going to make art with my well, friends. Yeah. It's going to sound however it sounds. Nice. Sometimes it's going to be this. Sometimes it's going to be that. And this song is that spirit and that mm. attitude personified. And it fucking rules. Yeah. God, I love it. it I'm, I'm so proud. And, like, she's out on the West Coast in California um, living on a beach 
uh, <laughs> with a friend right now just because she can. You know, right. she's that young, whatever, right? That just has the ability to go do it. And it's so sick. Like this song came out of left field for me, yep. but it was like, it's really cool to see a conversation that we had last summer right like manifest itself in that way the authenticity and now, and now people like you and people all around the world now can like gravitate to it and also not give a fuck absolutely you yeah know, in the best way like in the most self-loving way it's that's it yeah that's the permission she gives you yeah. i've read i love self-help books okay let's yeah. just start with like essentialism you're a badass all those books like seven habits of highly effective people i eat that stuff up yeah but what they don't always give you permission besides, you know, you're a badass. That's pretty that's a pretty good one for self-love. But what these don't give you the permission is to not care and to empower yourself in the meantime. Yeah. You know, I feel like we had yeah. this whole sort of phase as a society of like, allow yourself to be a mess. Throw your clothes on the floor. What does it matter? It's yeah. like crazy. But at the same time, it was like not empowering. You just had a pile of clothes on the floor. Like that was the extent of letting yourself not care. And so for Jax to come out with this song with such a message of, I don't care anymore, and this is why. But also, like, it really is such an authentic message of empowering yourself as a human being and as an artist and where you're at, you know, in the time frame that you have what you have. And, um, yeah, I feel like I could go on this song for days just because I, I just think that in two minutes she gave a lot of people a lot of different types of permission that maybe they didn't even know they needed. And the thing that if if you know Jax, right. it's not that she's giving other people that permission. It's that she's giving finally her giving herself, herself that permission. Right. She's been telling this story for five years. Right. You know, Flynn Eastwood, you go see Flynn Eastwood live. And then obviously Jax, is, as she changed the project around, you go to those shows, she's been screaming this shit for years yes. from stage. Right. But I'm not sure she ever really gave herself permission yeah. until recently. And that's mm -hmm. where the power explodes from, is this idea that, like, I'm not writing this for you. Right, yeah. You can yeah. glean from it mm -hmm. what you do, and I'm mm -hmm. glad that you do. But this is me giving me permission to be that way. And that's what's so powerful about this song. And again, you, you'd have to know Jax because you would think that maybe Jax knew that and gave herself that permission a long time ago because you've seen the the stage Jax Absolutely, have right, that right. attitude, mm -hmm. but she didn't. She was like, there was so much holding her back and so much like boxing her in and controlling her every move because she wasn't, you know, yeah. the confidence wasn't there. So, yeah. to, so to be able to grow and I talked to her, last time I talked to her, she was on her way out west, and she was just out in, like, somewhere in Arizona around mm -hmm. the Grand Canyon, mm -hmm. and she's just explaining what she's seeing as she's driving. And she's like, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight, and that's cool. <laughs> I went backwards, like, four hours just because I wanted to see something, and then I'm going to go this way, and then I'm going through well, this state yeah. park or national park, mm -hmm. going to Joshua Tree for a little bit, and then I'm going to end up here. And it was like this freedom, mm -hmm. which I hadn't detected from her in a really long time. That's beautiful. And it obviously manifests itself in this song and it's so sick we could we could keep going <laughs> thanks jack that's yeah, all i have to say for real. you're awesome um your favorite music memory um oh, wow. now it can be as something that you were a part of not something that you viewed from the audience so oh. like as part of your career yeah the michigan house showcase in texas that was my favorite music memory that i've been a part of as 
your performance. Oh, do I have to be performing? No, no, no. I'm asking. Oh. <laughs> I'm asking you because you performed it. One, oh, I did. One, one oh, yeah. of them. But that's not the moment. Mm-hmm. You're just talking about the execution of the the, the, actual the whole thing. thing. That was the first thing I promoted completely. Like, right. that was it. And it was 10 bands. And I gave them five minutes to load in and load out each. I had this bright red binder that I bought at the store. And I printed out everyone's stage plots. And I had everything, you know, like literally like I was walking into my final exam for school. That's what it felt like. You were prepared. I had no idea. You know, I literally bought a pack of 10 Sharpies because I I was like, this is just my instant reflex. I was like, what do you need to run a show? You need Sharpies. So why is that your favorite memory? (laughs) What was it about that like response to that preparation? Was it that it went so well and it just stayed on time like had it went sideways <laughs> would it still be the same memory it's the same feeling or no, what I was it it was the fact that for the first time i gave myself the permission to believe in myself i mean talk about jack's story yeah. i think that's why it hit home for me is because it wasn't a self-help book right she wasn't you know i don't know her super well personally obviously so i don't know these stories that you're telling me but it did have that glimmer of authenticity sure and in the showcase for me it was you know somebody gave me a job to do that i wanted to to yep. do well. Yep. And I let myself. And I definitely self-sabotage. Like, that is a huge thing that I have been working through in 2020, 2021, is getting through why I do that to myself. Yeah. And nobody sees that, right? Like, the self-sabotage is behind closed doors. Like, sure. it's not it's not something you'd see on a stage by any means. But this, there, it was like that monster wasn't there at all. Yeah. It was just me and my binder and my Sharpies and... That, kicking, kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> it would. It just felt like I wasn't. I wasn't pretending at all. It just was what it was, and it happened to be in the way that I thought it would. I, I don't know. I guess it's hard to explain. It was like I didn't second guess how I thought it should be ran. I sure. ran it the way that I thought it should be ran, and it ran and that it way. Ran and it was good. <laughs> yeah, right. That night is always so much fun. I know that, you know, you guys at Michigan House work so hard and it is the payoff, right? Yeah, it's like totally. The, it's the it's the party. And, you know, it's not about how many people, even though it's great when it's packed. And yeah, everything right, like that, right. But it's just the, it's it's the, just the payoff. Yeah, exactly. It's just the, it's the exhale. After all the inhale, it's the exhale. And it's super great. And you did kick ass that year. Oh, it was very noticeable. Thanks. So uh, that was your favorite music memory. What's yeah. your worst music moment? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, I'm not really a musician first, so I've had a lot of like I've had a lot of moments on stage where I forget my songs, forget my chords, I get really nervous. I have chicken shawarma before I go on stage, like things you just shouldn't do. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I've had a lot of moments. I think let's just talk about. I've been pretty open with the way that I view myself and the struggles I've had with that throughout this podcast, and I think that has been my lowest musical moment. Is you know, when I was writing my first songs at 17, sometimes I would, you know, Skype, we used Skype at the time, Mike, show him a song and he would help me and he was really encouraging and really empowering and I'd shut my laptop and I'd just start crying. And I would like hate everything I did. Like yeah. hate myself too. Right. And then I would go get on with my life. And then same with every single show I played. I would get off the stage and it was like just absolute self-loathing. But I was surrounded by like all my best friends and family. So it was granted it was like a magical experience and I had a great time. But what was really going on inside my head, I threatened my mom once. I said, mom, we were going to go for a run one morning and she like didn't want to go for a run. I was like, mom, do you want me to treat you like I treat the inside of my head? 
And she got right out of bed. She was like, no way. <laughs> um, so I definitely have this struggle that has manifested itself through um, my lowest music moments, which is just my fights with myself. Yeah. Is what it is. But you know it. You're self-aware to it. And, and I hope that you would respond to it. Absolutely. Better than maybe you did as a kid or whatever. Yeah. It's a learning curve. You've got a skill sure. set for that, right? You've been developing it all these years. So, you know, you find ways around or through. Sometimes you can't go around. Right. Sometimes absolutely. Sometimes you have to go through. And it always from my end, you've done a nice job of, of <laughs> keeping that from the audience, right? Definitely. Well, I mean, it's one thing that, you know. 14 I, years of dance or whatever yeah. taught you some of that, right? You know? It was definitely a lot of like the pressures that. Shit, my ankle hurts, but I can't show anybody that my ankle hurts or whatever. Yeah. And the other thing is like not being a burden on other people. Like I value your space so much that I don't care if it takes up all of mine. Like I just don't care. I don't need the space. I'll take it when I get home. Yeah. And that is kind of been my perspective. And so when I would get on a stage and like I had to take up space on a stage, it was super uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Because I, you know, usually was, I'm so much more comfortable behind a merch table, letting other people be in the audience letting other people be on the stage and it was a real exercise for me and i'm really grateful for it and you know i've grown to love it but it doesn't come without you know all of the crippling fears that every one who's doing anything that they love <laughs> right i mean it's normal but i'm here to talk about it because yeah. i don't show it i just don't sure and it's better to talk about it and to to level with others who have those same issues absolutely for real. All right. So we got one more kind of long form question. And as you know, since we've done this oh, once right, before, we're going to go speed round after that, <laughs> that and finish it up with some. Uh, so this one, I want you to extrapolate on a little bit. Um, just okay. tell us what the future holds for for canceled plans yeah. and for Michaela stock, because those are two different paths, yes. it seems like. But yeah, tell me about what the future holds for, for you. Yeah, let's start with canceled plans. So canceled plans. I mean, OK, the tagline canceled plans is a band. That yep. makes music for people who like to stay home. Yep. And we're staying home and there's been no music from Cancel Plans. So that's kind of been my struggle. Um, I think, you know, I've been fighting for the song that I released back in whenever that was. The a only years song ago. to yeah. this point, right? Yep. <laughs> that was like another time where I had I gave myself permission to trust my instinct. It was that Michigan House moment yep. where like even I was working with a really talented producer, but it was our last studio session. He was like, I don't like your chorus. And I was like, but you could have told me that like four sessions ago, you know, like it's not like we haven't been doing this song like over and over again for like, like we've listened to it for like 18 hours, you know? Yeah. So I had a choice to make and it was like, do I go with my course that I wrote or do I allow, you know, somebody else to rewrite the tagline of my first release? And I went with my own chorus and it worked. Oh, and not, that's not to discredit the artistry from the producer, like brilliant. It could have gone absolutely wonderfully if we went the other way, but um, I think that moment for me was another like, oh yeah, this song works kind of thing where I was like, I'm going to go with it. And I feel like I've been almost waiting for that moment again to release something else with Cancel Plans because um, I want it to feel like it comes from that same place. But what I have to realize as an artist is you go through places to get to new ones. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really allowed myself to understand that the f- same feeling of authenticity might manifest differently so as far as the future of canceled plans goes um yeah i keep canceled plans i hold it so loosely like if that project was to disappear tomorrow okay yeah cool sure i had a great time 
Yeah. So I allow it to be what it is. And I love that about that project. It can morph with who I become. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with Cancel Plans. I don't push anything with it. I don't feel pressure to make a new t-shirt. I don't want to sell you a sticker if you don't want the sticker. Sure. Like, that's fine. Yeah. You've got enough of that. Go support my friends who are doing the music thing full time. Like I'm behind the scenes more than I am in front of them. Right. That's Cancel Plans. I will release something. I would love to. I had this kid in Austria message me on Instagram. Well, they followed me on Instagram, commented on one of my pictures. When are you releasing the music? I messaged them and I was like, I'm sorry. Have I met you? Like, were we right. at the same school? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did this happen? And he was like, no, it's just your music. It's totally like that song was huge for me. And, you know, coming to terms with who I am and my sexuality and all these things. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. I didn't know that my track could hit the ears of a young person in Austria trying to figure out who they were. Yeah, um, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, it was wild and so super special. And um, I'm not saying that that's going to happen with my next track, but it reminded me two years later, because this was very recently, yeah. it reminded me two years later that, you know, what you put out there, this isn't like a painting to hang on a wall. It's a track that's streamed constantly. And even though the track itself doesn't change, the place it goes does. Yeah. And to realize that that's still being circulated. I, I still hover like around like a, a little over 100 listeners a month on Spotify been flatlined at that since i released the song in 2019 so if that's still being streamed sure by 100 different people a month i mean that's not a ton but it's still going somewhere outside of my own hands right um with no push from you it's nothing. not even yeah you know yeah you i mean let it go yeah this the artist side of you is literally that some of your social media accounts are also your band account but and i haven't know. changed my press photos since <laughs> right 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 yeah that's it so Cancel Plans is super special to me and I love it and I'm so grateful for everyone and everything that's come of it. It's not over. I'm just not making it be what it doesn't want to be right now. Yeah, which is fine. Professionally. That's a, that's a, that's a really important place to be right now because yeah. there are a lot of people, like you said, just the making room for your friends that do mm -hmm. need to is is a self-realization thing. That's a really mature thing for you to say as, as such a young person is is the idea of you know, there is only so much space. There is right. only so much air right now. And and people are are leaning heavily on the things that are easy. Right. You know, Netflix, Marvel, yeah. Star Wars, like big things that are easy to like Amazon. Yeah. You know, like it I don't know. It just it's such a weird time to where our bandwidth mm -hmm. personally has just been stretched yeah. and now we're just we've contracted it to like our comfort food. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's just, that's okay. Just that's streaming right. that's iCarly, how, a new girl. <laughs> yeah. And that's how we get through this, right? right? That's how we get through this. So totally. what about the future for, for Michaela? Yeah. It's a really hard question because I feel like clearly I have a chapter in a different country that hasn't been closed. And I'm not saying I'll ever close that chapter because, you know, closure, that's a whole nother topic, right? Like <laughs> what is closure? Sure. Um, and does it exist and does it need to exist? And do you create it or do you find it? XYZ. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I mean... You were Torah <laughs> Right. Very, very aggressive. With really strong connections to some people there and places and reasons to be there, right? Family reasons behind my intentions for going, personal reasons for my intentions to go and, and all of that. And so I definitely have been trying to somehow figure out what the next steps in that look like. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to figure out what your life looks like when it's split across two countries, when it's illegal to go to one. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the easiest time to have illegal A, but also potentially unethical. Oh, absolutely. Unsafe. Right. You know, and and just question. There's so many question marks that weren't there right. before, and there are already question marks when you made the decision to go there. Hundred percent. And then more that you found when you got there. Mm-hmm. Situations that you got into, where you're like, oh my god, I'm not equipped for this. No. And then, and then now to add all of this on top of all of those layers that you had started to work through, right? Which was such a an important experience for you to do is to be able to right. answer a lot of the questions. But now you got a whole new level of questions. To exactly. Go. So, yeah, it's been hard. And part of me is like, well, I'm just going to go to a different country that's near Paris, right? So <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to go to England because I speak English, you know. Um, and I have right. a ton of friends. One of my closest friends in the whole world, like got me through this pandemic, lives in Scotland. Um, and so I applied to the school one and a half, two hours south of Edinburgh and had all of my London and Liverpool and Wales connections like all lined up. And I was like, I'm going to go do environmental sustainability post-COVID in England for a while and come back with this like kick-ass policy to like help us right here in Michigan sure. run shows. Like I'm not just going to sit here and be like, oh, wow, like, why are you using that plastic cup like that's dumb and then not offer a better solution that provides social distancing like right. we right. are dealing with both so yeah. that's what i was going to do and um i was in this funding competition lost the funding it was super competitive to begin with and so now i'm kind of back at square one and so i have this opportunity to potentially teach english in france but that takes me even further away from the thing that i want to be doing most in the world which is music right that's first and foremost but if I choose music, that would probably mean New York, LA, Nashville, if I take this UTA opportunity, United Talent Agency, um, which is in the works every day behind the scenes. Um, And that, if I take that opportunity, it takes me so much further away from my life in Europe. It does, but it doesn't. Hmm. But I will get, because I will say that depending on the route you take, you know, especially with a UTA... I mean, how many artists do they sign from England, from France? They have an office in London. You know, they book tours right. in Europe. So there's so many opportunities. You know, it, I I spent my whole life not traveling hmm. until I got to a certain point in this business. And then it allowed me to think globally. Yeah. And globally for me still is within the continental United States for the most part, (laughs) right? You know, I've been able to do some things in Canada and things like that, but I just, you know, but the opportunity is there that if there, you know, there are, there are opportunities where you're like, the place can take me to the thing Hmm. or the thing can take me to the place or the thing could take me to different places that I didn't already know that I was in love with, you know? So it's a lot to consider, right? but also I think that if you are naturally inclined to end up in those places or doing (laughs) those things that you're going to get there. Well, and another huge part of me, which has been a huge part of me since my first week in Paris back in 2019 is I just want to get a studio in Grand Rapids, do whatever I can to pay the bills and do what I've always been doing. Right. Yeah. Like just love the heck out of life the way that I know that I can. And that's, so tempting and huge for me and just as valid like getting an apartment in Grand Rapids and just doing my thing is just as valid as 
where I was living in France or working with a United Talent Agency with some corporate people in LA, you know, like those right. things are just as beautiful to me. And so that's kind of where my headspace is at is, you know, will Europe open up again for me right now? Maybe not. Maybe I take my tourist visa and my Delta flight voucher that they so kindly gave me from last year and I just go hang with my friends for a couple of months. You yeah. know, you got 90 days over there. Yep. And by the time I'm done hanging out over there, grabbing all my stuff from everyone's apartments. <laughs> you get it out of your system. I come home. You check that box. And I do what I do. Yeah. You know, that's just, that's like There's so There's a cool beauty in the question marks, right? Absolutely. You know, I feel like your painting is like whatever painting you're living your life by is like, if you zoom in on it really close, it's a bunch of question marks and some you yeah. fill in and some you haven't, but that's okay. You're supposed to be there. Yeah, I mean, there, there is there is a beauty to that, even at my age, you know, where it's like I don't need to know everything. Just yeah, need to know what's next, and, and yeah. right, right now the hard part is it's hard to know what's next right now. You know, we're all so everything's so uncertain. So you'll get there. Right. Trust me, there are people that want <laughs> you to get there. Mm, there are people that want you to get there with them. You know, like mm. like I said, you're the you're you're the cream of the free agent crop right now and somebody's <laughs> going to snap you up and then from there you're going to explode in whatever direction you choose to go so i can't wait for it you ready for a speed round i am so these are the same questions i asked you before i'm i, I don't oh, really? know if yeah i don't know if they're going to be the same answers or I if, remember I, if, one of my if answers. we even remember them i only remember one so let's see which direction <laughs> you head i'm gonna start with best album of all time oh yeah brothers black keys okay and that was the same Oh yeah, that will never change. Right. I, I that was just static answer. How did so? I missed earlier when we were talking about Modest Mouse. How did we get from Modest oh. Mouse to the Black Keys? What, well, that genre. She so, just had both of those. Oh yeah, CDs that and, and like Bear's Hand and like so many others like that. The Strokes she introduced me to. Yeah, just that whole genre. Of, okay, I just missed how we got there. You're like Black Keys Brothers, blah, blah, and I was like. Did, were we talking about Modest Mouse for a second ago? Well, I said Modest Mouse because I didn't want to give away the punchline, oh, which okay. I knew was coming, Word. which was Brothers. So they're on the same rack in right. the CD. Yeah, okay. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. No, okay. it does now. <laughs> yeah. I just wondered how we got there. Uh, your favorite concert experience. So this is you in the audience. Oh, my gosh. Live music is why I do this. <laughs> so that is just a wild question. My favorite concert experience. This is supposed to be a speed round. Can you cut my pauses? <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can. That's funny. Let me think. Okay. So there is this band called Vancouver Sleep Clinic. They're from Australia. Yep. And um, their song Closure was my mixed reference track when I was making my own song. And so for non-musicians, basically what that means is that was kind of the what I wanted, the energy and the vibe and the sonic depth to mimic in my song was based out of this song. So what I would do when I was mixing my track in the studio is I would mix it and while well, we were mastering as well. And then I would switch from the mix board to the aux and I would play the song, um, Closure, and then I'd switch back to my track and I'd see if my sonic field had the same depth as this track that I fell in love sure, with. Sure, sure. So that's what my mixed reference was. And um, I didn't know if I was ever going to see this band because they weren't, they're still not that big. And they're so, I'm so far away. It's hard to get Australian bands, New Zealand bands to the States, obviously. So I got an Instagram ad on an Instagram story 
that was six euro, which is like, I don't know, seven to fifty dollars um, student tickets to go see Vancouver Sleep Clinic on a boat in the middle of Paris. And yeah. so I actually texted my friend whose sweater I still have in Copenhagen. And he was in Paris at the time. And I was like, come to this concert. Like, this is going to be so cool. So we went on this boat. It was called the Little Bath, obviously Le Petit Pont in French, but uh, the Little Bath. And I went on a boat for seven dollars and watched like my favorite band in the world and it was like honestly nothing short of a spiritual experience that rules so cool uh your favorite thing that you've ever created or been a part of hmm i really didn't talk about concert series a lot during this podcast we focused a lot on michigan house which had a lot of the same energy in it as concert series did just a little bit less structured right like it was outside of a university setting but i just hope college College. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah with hope college that I got in at a really lucky time because you were saying earlier that, you know, Hope College got shows above its pay grade. Well, there are some people working really hard at some smaller shows to get us the street cred with the agents to get us the bigger shows. Sure. And I came in right when those people had laid the foundation and it was ready to explode if somebody wanted it to. And I wanted it to. And so I think that was really beautiful. And I had incredibly deep relationship with my advisor, Chris Bull, at that time, too. And yeah, we're obviously so close, but we don't work together anymore. And that was by far one of the coolest things to watch happen, not only for myself and my career as an individual, but to be able to bring like an artist like Snail Mail, right? Into Dimnit Chapel, like a gay woman with an electric guitar in a chapel at Hope College. Yeah. And like, let her just rip. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That was so empowering for me to be like, music is more than just entertainment and especially in this educational setting let me allow you to be educated by storytelling and by sound and creativity and through people that you would have never chosen to meet but it's five dollars you've got nothing to lose it's a party come on yeah and that was just wow yeah i'm so grateful for that so cool what's your current or most recent binge watch Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. So when we, (laughs) I'm laughing so hard because when last time we did this, it was that 70 show. Yep. I have to be honest, man. Dang it. Why? I Carly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I also binge the great British baking show all the time. Okay. But I literally, I am like season two, episode 30 of I Carly right now. Oh wow. I'm in it. There you go. Uh, best musical performer that ever lived. I said Kimbra last. Uh, sorry, I don't want to keep going last time, but I mean it. I think I said, yeah. Well, if it's still true, yeah. it's not like <laughs> you've still seen. A, mean it. It's not like you've seen a lot of live performances <laughs> since. May. Right, that's so true. So nothing could potentially change your mind. That's funny. Yeah, I, I, um, I really enjoy what Kimbra has done. Um, as a live performer, I think her ability to manage songwriting and artistry and the organic instrument of her voice that is her main instrument and watching her over the years get into all this technological stuff yeah like she's just able to do anything with anything yeah i love that yeah albums or singles oh yeah when i think of the thing that brings me the most comfort and brings me back to places in my life it's definitely albums okay i like that a controversial opinion that you hold. Hmm. 
opinion. It can be deep or it can be super simple. Like, <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind was I've never had a hamburger. I get a lot of crap for that. What? I've never had a hamburger. I've had two in the last two days, <laughs> like literally before <laughs> both times that I came here. How? I don't know. Are you vegetarian? You're not vegetarian. I was. Okay. But never once. Never once. I've had a veggie burger. Why? Well, my mom I need to know. doesn't eat red meat. Okay. So it's and, not in the house. Yeah, like it's just not in the house. When you go to a restaurant, you want to order things that you want, that you know that you want most exactly. of the time. Right. So if you're like, I'm a pasta person, I'm going to get pasta. If I'm well, I'm also gluten-free. So they come on buns. Oh, yeah. Well, that, yeah. that also. So that deters me yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Not having red meat in the house <laughs> and not being able to eat buns. That pretty much is That's a hamburger. a hamburger. Right? So, Okay. <laughs> That is, I don't know if it's an opinion. No, so much, I know, right? But it, it works. <laughs> it's no, controversial. It's, it's certainly, yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, last one, um, a guilty pleasure. Mm, I got to think about that one. I feel like I have a really good one. That, I mean, iCarly's got to be one. Oh, totally. But, oh, that's it. Coming of age films and thematics. Like 17 again, Perks of Being a Wallflower, I Carly, all of those. Like you're a Hillary lines. Duff fan, probably. Honestly, no, not as much. Not that coming. Of I age. hit like the. Okay, so if there, this is my dream plotline. Ready? Okay. <laughs> if there <laughs> is a young person, I don't know. It can be anywhere between age fourteen to age thirty. Let's say like yeah. that sort of kind of youth, right? Not that. 30 you are still youthful at 30 you're still youthful at 80 okay but like point is this is my dream plot line and this person is a little bit on the fringes and they don't know why they're on the fringes but they'd like to find out and they go through this massive journey of like urban landscapes and rain and splattering paint in studio canvases and really moody transcendental music with a ton of synths and all of a sudden by the end of it this person's like Oh, yep, uh-huh, I am an artist, I am gay, and I am going to move to New York to find myself. That's my dream plotline. Okay. So, like, every Kristen Stewart movie after Twilight <laughs> thing, basically. Yeah, okay. all of those types of, like, okay. I know I'm an outsider and I don't know why, but I'm going to find out. Okay. All right. Love that. The other side of the tracks kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sick. Where can we find out more about you on the internet? I... I can imagine that, you know, those two things between the Michaela and the canceled plans kind of blend together on totally. your socials. But like if people are intrigued, where can they find out more? Yeah. Well, I've made the choice to not distinguish my band from my personal social media. So those are the same. If you want to follow my life and my band, Instagram is canceled plans music. Same with Facebook, Twitter. They didn't allow me to add the music because it was too long. So it's just canceled plans. I also have, you know, portfolios and things like that. If you ever want to see more of my professional work, my LinkedIn is very up to date and I am always on it. So nice. <laughs> happy to be a connect on LinkedIn um, as well. You can see all of my journalism um, and in a musical sense, you can see all my music journalism journalism linked there as well if you're interested in reading the articles i've produced for review magazine and then if you want to listen to my music you can go to www.cancelplansmusic.com or you can go on spotify or any other streaming music platform that you prefer and type in cancel plans and i will pop up canceled with one l now yeah two that's super important that's it, a controversy it is do you remember when we had that conversation i do you told you were the reason I chose one L. You chose correctly. <laughs> Do you feel like you chose correctly after all these years? Oh, a hundred percent. It's okay, cleaner cool. too, visually. Yes, it is yeah. absolutely that. Is there anything else you wanna that we didn't get into in the two plus <laughs> that we've been yammering on? 
No, I think it's it's just so cool that you do this for us and like yourself, like to have this conversation. I was gonna say I do it a lot for me too. <laughs> I, I miss yeah the green room conversations and, right. the, and the pre-show and the end of the bar, mm, you know, right. chatter and all of that. So this is absolutely a chance for me to just yeah just do that for a little while. So yeah, I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Thanks for making for the drive. Me. I really appreciate yeah. it. We got a lot of people to thank. Thanks to Tyler. Thank you. We really appreciate you always. Make us sound wonderful. You're going to take out all the times I accidentally kicked the mic stand. (laughs) Oh, that was you. Okay. It was me uh, a couple of different times. It was was Alex last time, but it was me today. Thanks for for making this space. We're in Wyandotte at Eureka Records, and, and this is just such a cool, like, hub of creativity, and it's super, super great, and I'm just thankful. For, for these kind of things happening all throughout our state and all throughout that, that have found ways to persevere through all of this. Yeah. You know, you're still here and you're doing it and you're trying to figure it out. So um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify online at hereforNowPodcast.com. We're on socials at hereforNowPod. Uh, you can shoot us an email, hereforNowPod at gmail.com. I want to shout out the Fever Haze for the music and Alex Maniac for the art and our sponsor, Two Foot Parade, out of Kalamazoo. If you like independent music and you like owning independent music physically on tape, on CD, they're doing really cool stuff with Two Foot Parade. So head to twofootparade.com or at Two Foot Parade on social media. And we'll be back next week uh, here on Here For Now, finishing off season two with my good buddy, Ryan Kerrigan of Assemble Sound. He's a talent buyer at the Majestic Theater in Detroit. And another person, very much like yourself, Michaela, who has 3,000 different parallel lives running at the same time. So He does um, everything. He's so great. He's the sweetest. I emailed him accidentally three different ways. I didn't know he was doing all these things for Michigan. Like, I was doing a Michigan house thing. Sure. And I needed three different places and people. And he answered all of them. And I was like, wait. Right. I, uh, yeah, right. You, you, how, how are you the same? <laughs> what? You have three full-time jobs? Is that possible? Like, no. And then from there, you got eight full-time jobs. And yeah. you, had, you, had to, you had to upstage Ryan. Um, Sorry, so, Ryan. So, yeah, that, that's going to be next week. I'm really excited. Uh, I just, Michaela, it was really great to see you. And Thank you. Thanks, thanks for, for coming me. in. We'll, uh, awesome. we'll talk soon. Thanks, y'all. See you next week. Bye.